Welcome to Zeitgeist with Zach Geist. I'm your host, Zach Geist. This show is made possible by Student Loan Tutor, which you can find at studentloantutor.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please take a moment and give us a review. Thank you. Hello and welcome to Zeitgeist with Zach Geist. This podcast opens in an unusual way as we're working through some technical difficulties. Uh, Madeline, I bring up something about kind of animal cruelty and it touches Madeline deeply because she's read the work of Will Tuttle and she begins to cry, trying to cover it up. And uh, we decided to start the podcast here uh, to kind of make sense of the tone of the podcast. So, uh, yeah, I encourage you, we don't go here trying to shame anybody or make anybody feel bad for the way that they live. Um, we really want to tell a story of compassion and connection. And, and, uh, I think this podcast does a beautiful job of helping form and invite people into a compassionate narrative that includes all beings and, I really hope you enjoy. Uh, at the end, it ends with, we got permission from Deva Pramal and Mitten, uh, the Kirtan uh, musicians, to play their song, Loka Samasta Sukino Bhavantu, which stands for, may all beings be happy, peaceful, and free, and may all my thoughts, actions, contribute in some way to the peace, freedom, and happiness of all of those beings. Really hope you enjoy this podcast. You cry? She's already crying. <laughs> We're very sensitive people, her more than me maybe, or her, she expresses it more than I do. I'm pretty sensitive also. She, I yeah. just address that before we start. I feel very silly because I'm just meeting you for the first time, but I was so struck by your book and I just finished it and so I'm just I'm kind of in this very state of like overwhelming emotions around it um and just wondering right. like you know what our next step is so I didn't really expect to feel this emotional just seeing you on the the camera or on this computer screen but um it was just really like I just thought you did a very like you took a very daring move to really talk about it in such grave detail. And, you know, clearly you were, you know, you had to dive into like the kind of horrific facts of so much of this. And what I find to be really intimidating is knowing these facts and then not wanting to scare people away when I'm trying to change their mind and opinion and their choices. Right. Um, and right. so... I guess, yeah, I have often like these kind of wellings of emotions because I'm just like, what are we doing? You know, I was just walking our dog near our house and we live pretty close to the zoo. So I was in this park behind the zoo. It must be like free zoo day or something because there was like hundreds of people going in. And every time I'm just like, why are we doing this? <laughs> like, what's the point? You know, so I'm just I'm grateful for you calling it out because I'm like, I don't want to be hysterical this whole conversation. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well. Emotions are, you know, really valuable. I mean, that's without that, we're not human. So thanks, thanks for feeling. It's really important. Well, <clears throat> if we didn't begin already, I guess we'll begin. You feel confident with these? 
questions. Uh, I definitely don't want to you to feel interrogated. And I, I, I think I am so sensitive to this because oftentimes uh, when I bring these things up, I feel like I'm attacking some deep wound or guilt or something inside of people that is unconscious really. And they just lash out uh, at me like, how dare you question what I'm doing? Um, even way before I do that, you know, just at the very surface, like here, you know, try this food I made, you know, and it's like, even that sometimes can be a enough to, right, to bring right. up this, this pain. So uh, today I've got Will Tuttle from the World Peace Diet, author of the World Peace Diet. Um, he's in California. He's also a farmer and a musician and him and his wife travel around the world offering workshops and offering uh, sound healing and music healing. And uh, his wife's name, coincidentally, is Madeline, also spelled the same way as Madeline here. Madeline wasn't going to be part of it, but then ended up being part of this one as well. So surprise. Hello. Uh, hello, Will. Great. Hi. Hi, Madeline. Hi, Zach. Great to be hello. here. Thanks. Thank you. So we began a, a bit earlier just kind of going over some things. And, uh, and I think we'll just maybe dive in with... Uh, your inspiration, Will, um, this undertaking of this book, it wasn't, you know, all jovial and, you know, the book itself didn't speak about all rainbows and butterflies and cottontail rabbits and walks, long walks on the beach and, you know, joys and ecstasies. Uh, there was a lot of diving into the underworld in this book before it got to the place what to where this book was, its inception was inspired. So I'd like you to, if you could, share what inspired this endeavor well thank you um zach and thanks everyone for listening uh here i think the uh inspiration for the book really is the animals themselves and also and also people you know all of us we're animals too of course but um i think the um the underlying inspiration was this realization that all of us are deeply wounded by being born into a culture that's organized at its living core around imprisoning animals millions uh, billions of animals and killing them and sexually abusing them on a daily basis and not just doing that but then eating them and feeding them to our you know as little children we're, we're all fed this by very well-meaning and loving uh, parents and friends and neighbors and relatives and doctors and uh, the media you know it's all about um, this identity and um, so my background I think was kind of unique because I was raised in a typical family eating the usual meals I never questioned it. I got a glimpse of it when I was 13, uh, 14, you know, my early teens going to this beautiful, idyllic little farm and nestled in the green mountains of Vermont, where I learned to kill my own chickens. We would kill our own cows there, <clears throat> the dairy cows when the production declined. So I saw and participated in the violence. But since I had gone through the programming, the indoctrination of eating these foods, it was like a coming of age ritual. I was kind of proud of it. It was kind of, you know, I, I'm, I'm a tough young kid. I can do this, no problem. <clears throat> and um, so, but later uh, I went on, I guess what I, I, I feel it was a spiritual sort of transformation where I began to want to uh, understand our society more. A lot of it was brought out about by the Vietnam War and just seeing the violence in the world and, and seeing, you know, what are we doing here? And so I ended up going on this pilgrimage with my younger brother, Ed, and we ended up walking actually from New England where we lived all the way to Alabama 
And on the way, we ended up at a, what was the largest hippie commune in the world at the time called The Farm, about almost a thousand people. And they were all vegetarians, they say, but they were actually vegans. They didn't eat meat or dairy or eggs. And so they had the farm. It was a farm. It was a vegan farm. And they were thriving. Right? You know, they were doing great. Nobody was dying of a protein deficiency or a calcium deficiency or dragging themselves through the mud with no energy. Or <laughs> they were doing great. You know? So that was the example of the of another way of living, like another tribe in a sense. And so that, that was the inspiration. And then I ended up living in uh, meditation centers for about 10 years in California, in Georgia, and then in Korea. I shaved my head at one point, became a Zen Buddhist monk. So I spent a lot of time in meditation, uh, just sort of going deeper. And these communities that I ended up be living in, in uh, were vegetarian or vegan. A lot of them were vegan, like the ones in Korea, the, the ancient tradition in Korea in Buddhism is no meat, no dairy, no eggs, no wool, no silk, no leather, no fur, no killing or abusing animals because you're meditating uh, 12 hours a day and get very sensitive to violence. And so they've been doing this for 800 years, you know, this way of living. So I realized that this is not just this newfangled hippie idea from California. This is an ancient wisdom tradition that goes back into our roots as human beings that we've been essentially divorced from that we've been born into a culture of violence towards animals and towards the sacred feminine dimension of life that's wounded all of us whether we're men or women it's damaging to everyone and the wounds i think uh really cause us to form kind of a scar over them so we don't want anyone to talk about it in fact if we are traumatized we don't want to go through it again we don't want someone to bring it up and so the animals are traumatized. And I think for us as little kids, we don't remember. But when we realize that we're eating the flesh of animals, uh, I think there's something deep that enters our chest at a very dark uh, level. <clears throat> and we realize that, that we have to harm others to be healthy. And the great, wonderful, good news is we don't have to. <laughs> now, that's the thing. So the main message is it's really dark. It's really violent. It's horribly abusive what we're doing. We have a whole layers and layers and layers of rationalizations why it's okay. And I, I ended up getting, a, after going to Korea, you know, getting a master's degree and getting a PhD and studying anthropology and sociology and social psychology and going really deep into comparative religions and the PhD in education. So how, you know, how the educational system works, how we as anthropologists understand um, how we program uh, people coming into our society. You know, anthropologists understand that every society, this isn't a bad thing, you know, uh, indoctrinates the people that are raised in that society, right? Their food becomes my food, their language becomes my language, their religion becomes my religion. We're, we're, we can't avoid it. So, but the most powerful force, really, in uh, the most powerful ritual and force of indoctrination is food. Food is the number one. That's the biggest, deepest program. When we're eating food, we're not just eating food. We're eating a whole narrative about our relationship with animals, with nature, with each other, between men and women, between you know, us and God, and whatever, all of it. It's in food. So the thing is, since we are raised in a society where we don't really want to think about where our food comes from, we're basically, you know, as beings of empathy, we, you know, all of us as human beings, or virtually all of us, have the capacity to feel suffering not only ourselves but in others you know we, if we saw someone hitting a dog or a kid or whatever we, we we'd feel that ourselves so we're empathetic but 
we're eating foods every day that force us to re to repress this natural capacity of empathy and also the natural capacity to make connections, which is uh, intelligence. Uh, intelligence is the capacity to make uh, relevant connections. And uh, you know, my, my work in in, in uh, education was, you know, some of it was about about this, you know, and how intelligence is repressed in our society because we have to do things we don't want to think about. And so as individuals and as a society, we repress our intelligence and we don't want to make the connection. We don't want anyone to bring this up. And so this is a, a deep wound. So the inspiration to write the World Peace Diet was essentially one of, of healing and awakening. You're helping us as individuals and as a society to heal this deep wound that we don't want to even look at. We don't want to touch it. It's the number one spinning fury at the core of our all of our dilemmas. You go, you drill down deep enough into everything, I think, and you will find this massive incarceration and brutalization of billions of animals and, and eating them and, you know, and wearing them and using them and letting them entertain us, you know, all this stuff as if they're just robots. You know, we don't care. We just don't care about them. And that cutting off of our caring, this primal force of caring, the, Caring is what allows us to survive. If our mother didn't care for us, you know, we'd all be in bad shape. So this, you know, this force of caring, when we repress that, then that allows us to create whole social institutions based on domination and exploitation of nature, of the weak by the strong, and it just goes from there. So that was the inspiration. And now uh, what I'm seeing is that there's uh, a wonderful movement building where people are beginning to question eating animal foods. And so it's not just eating animal foods, it's the underlying story, the underlying narrative of our society and creating a new one. Uh, or it's not even a new one. It's an ancient one, I think, that's we've has been covered over. I think that's an important distinction well, that it's an ancient bring one. Bring it back. Right, right, right. Yeah. Because I find that for me also, I spent a lot of my weekends and a lot of my summers on a cattle ranch where they would raise cattle in this free-range way that everybody says is so great now and local and free-range and grass it was they were fed hay they would chuck right. the hay out and right, part right. of the coming of age ritual where we were at is that on this ranch we would shoot squirrels uh uh for uh to do good actually because squirrels dig ground squirrels dig holes and then the poor cows will break their legs if they, uh, if, if we don't Fall shoot in. the squirrels. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we're shooting the squirrels. And I remember once shooting a squirrel when I was maybe eight or nine years old, you know, with my 22, with my stepdad right there. And I find I like shot her and she was pregnant and, uh, mm -hmm. and you could see like the stomach explode and, and mm -hmm. squealing and he's laughing. Oh, I got a pregnant one. Yeah. Ha. You know, so uh, it was very intense experience for me, and I think it was this this beginning of a deconditioning for me. And I was just like right. looking to him for like, am I a, you know am I a, am I a man? Am I a boy? But I felt deeply bothered by this. And there was this thing called Roundup. You're probably familiar with it, where they would round up all of the cows. They would heat up pokers and brand them, um, and then they would cut their horns off, which isn't like getting a haircut. Blood no. shoots yeah. off in the distance, and then. They're moving their head all around. They're trying to solder their, their horns. No anesthetic, zero. Uh, and they're all screaming. You could hear them screaming from like miles away. And, uh, and then they take the, cut the testicles off of the male, the male cows, the bulls. They cut their testicles off and, and this, with dull buck knives just out of their pocket, you know, into, the, you know, into a bucket, uh, you know, a rusty bucket or whatever. 
And uh, part of this initiation ritual, for me at least it was, was that in order to show that you're a tough kid, uh, right after they cut the balls off, put them in the bucket, brand them, cut the horns, solder it, give them the shot thing, you get on the back of this calf and you ride it, wee, wee, wee. You ride this like terrified calf as the blood and urine come down the inner thighs of the, of, of the calf. And these animals are terrified. You could feel it. And then you have to tell yourself something that these are not human. Something like how the Nazi uh, SS had to say that the Jews were not human. They were beasts. Uh, and I've, I read just recently in a book, I can't remember which book it is, that part of the SS training is that they would have the soldiers. This is a, a well-documented book with footnotes and everything. I can't, uh, if it comes to me, I'll tell you what it is. Is that they, in order to train the, uh, the SS soldiers, they would make them raise a puppy from like right after, you know, mm-hmm. got rid of suckling. They would raise it. They would care for it. They would sleep in bed with it. They would nurture it. They would pet it. And then on command of the general, they would have to torture and kill that puppy. And the minute that they did that, something in them would break and they'd be able to kill people and throw babies in ovens and they lose that connection with the whole. Yeah, those, you're, um, uh, you're right. You know, that's the thing. I think p- most people don't realize that it's really a war against nature. Uh, you know, animal agriculture, uh, I own these cows, so we got to kill the squirrels, we got to kill the everybody else. I mean, the you just go on, the, on a website, you know, yeah. of, uh, of the, it's called the, you know, it's part of the USDA. And the um, damn beavers, and, the beavers that are blocking, that are actually right. really helping out, like building the mangroves. And like, they found out that they're really trying to save the, right. the, the, the ecology, but everybody's shooting the beavers because it's effect, yeah. the river coming down is affecting, not coming down is affecting their ability to get rid of the animal waste, the cows right. waste. And then, but get rid exactly. of it. What does that mean? It goes down and pollutes other areas. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's our it's our taxpayer money. You know, it's the it's the, called the Department of Wildlife Services. You know, it sounds like some <laughs> some benevolent organization. It's millions of dollars just killing prairie dogs and coyotes and bobcats and otters and lynx and you know birds of all kinds, eagles and, and any kind of animal who's trying to live out there. We want to kill them, including deer. You know, all these animals. <clears throat> and and teaching our children, especially the boys, of course, but teaching our kids that this is uh, the way God sort of intends that we're we're the superior species. They're just put here for us to use. You know, so I think if we can make that um, that narrative um, to see it for what it is, you know, basically to see it as something that started at a certain time. So I have a chapter in the World Peace Diet that talks about the history of this and how you know what you're talking about with war and how. Uh, we reduce the the so-called enemy, you know, to just the status of an object or or a thing that we don't care about. Animal agriculture teaches us to do that, you know, on on a very deep level. And the very oldest word for war is the ancient Sanskrit word gavya, which means the desire for more cows, because it was basically war was then what it in many ways still is today, which is a way to increase power and wealth for an, an elite. And of course, it's the, the people lower down in status in the society that have to do the dirt, dirty work and have to be trained to kill. And it's the mothers, of course, of these soldiers who, who bear the full fury of the grief of their kids killing each other's kids. And it really began about eight or 10,000 years ago when people for the first time started owning cows and well, sheep and goats at first, and then later cows and other animals for food. And that created the whole system of a wealthy elite class 
of ranchers, basically those who own the kings, they were called. When, when we first had our first writing, you can read about it. And that system that got established gradually 10,000 years ago uh, and has come through the ancient Greek and, and Roman uh, and then medieval and, and all the way when, when they came over here, of course, to the new so-called new world, they brought their slate, what the Indians called their slave animals. And this idea of owning the animals as property uh, led right to slave, human slavery. I mean, it, it's, it's cut from the same cloth. So, because well, humans are animals, also, I think we forget right, that, and they're also right, a, a cog yeah. in this mechanistic torture wheel. Uh, and it's not the people that are working in these slaughterhouses or doing this that go that have dreamed as a child of I hope one day I could go into a fluorescent lit uh, uh, mm-hmm. slaughterhouse that smells like urine and feces and. You know, I hope I could go do that for 10, 12 hours. No, a day. it's the worst job. It's the lowest oh. caste. You know, we, we, I remember going to the this massive slaughter plant in Amarillo, Texas. I mean, it's the wor- it's the worst work anyone can have, and and there's a huge turnover. They have the highest rate of worker related injuries, and among the highest rates of suicide, and drug addiction, and spousal abuse, alcohol abuse, and so forth. So it's really work. These workers have what is referred to as perpetrator induced traumatic stress disorder. You know, they, it's tr- totally traumatic for them. The animals are obviously traumatized before they're killed. And, and then we're eating trauma, right? I mean, that's what it is. It's whole webs of trauma that start with the animals and extend to the wild, free-living animals whose habitats are destroyed and who are killed uh, to make uh, space for, these, for our property animals. Hungry people, we have almost a billion of our brothers and sisters who are going hungry right now on this planet while we're feeding most of the food we're growing, like 70% of it, to animals, right? I mean, it's this massive waste. You can't think of a more t- terrible, wasteful system than animal agriculture in terms of just wasting water and grain and land and petroleum and so forth uh, to grow huge amounts of food that's fed to animals who then excrete most of it, create huge amounts of nitrous oxide and methane and mountains of manure that's toxic, that's polluting our, our water, causing huge dead zones in the ocean. You know, so all of this wasteful and stuff, like these stuff, starving people, that's trauma for them, for their mothers, and that injustice of of hunger, we have some people starving and not far away. You have other people eating, uh, as they say, high off the hog, right? You're taking yeah. most of the land, most of the water, most of the grain, eating their meat and dairy and eggs, while other people don't have enough to eat at all. That That is the driving force behind world conflict, is that injustice. And so what uh, we're talking about essentially is justice for people, for animals, and for ecosystems. And also for us, right? I mean, you know, any, if, the only reason anyone's eating animal foods is because they've been abused in a sense. I mean, not, not by uh, people that wanted to abuse them typically. It's because the people, their parents were also abused. It's gone down through the generations. And so I think we've gotten to the point now where we have to stop. <laughs> this is the generation. We can't keep going. We're in this strange circular reasoning because I hear a lot of people use the reason that they continue to do this as this is what my family does. This is what my, my right. family is Russian. This is what Russians eat. Like, you know, <laughs> right. in this in this movie, uh, uh, Everything is Illuminated, uh, Elijah Wood in this movie is a, is a vegetarian and they're sitting in this restaurant and this mm-hmm. big Russian woman who you're not sure if she's a woman or like a male wrestler or a grizzly bear comes over and uh, and they turn to him. And they say, on, on which means he doesn't eat meat. And the woman doesn't even acknowledge him, just looks to the two like Russians because he's there visiting from America's a Ukrainian Jew in the movie. 
And, uh, and so what does he goes on Bolnoy? Like, is he sick or something? And, uh, and he goes, he goes, you know, oh, he's American. So then they bring him a potato and, uh, that's, and that's all that, that's what he has to eat. And it drops on the floor. He looks at it. They pick it up, cut it into three pieces. They each eat two, give him nothing and then throw one to the dog. Mm-hmm. And, and the idea of this, what it, what it depicts for me is this lack of creativity and this attachment to nostalgia. Mm. Uh, and nostalgia means to feel the pain again. That's the root of nostalgia. I just l- discovered this yesterday is to feel the pain again. And so right, right. it's like they want to feel the pain again. There's some grieving that may have not been done for all of the suffering that we've inflicted. Mm-hmm. You know, my family was around uh, in Russia during 19, right prior to 1917. They fleed. They were part of the White Army, which is the more aristocratic, right, you right. know, ruling class. I don't think my family were Tsars or anything. We don't know. Lenin called them the former people. Uh, meaning right, that right. they are no longer even human. And they and they took these aristocrats out in the street, tortured them, whipped them, raped them, maimed them. It was brutal. It was unbelievably terrible. Just as terrible as, as what happened. I mean, I don't know how to compare the two. Like, would you rather be raped, beaten, and tortured in the streets while the public is cheering? Or, like, burned alive, your kids taken from you, thrown into ovens where nobody could see you know, what's worse? I don't know. They're both fucking terrible. And I see a lot of people use this circular reasoning of, we've always done it this way. This is part of my tradition. This is part of my culture. When really what maybe they mean is nostalgia. And I think we're being invited into a cultural and world uh, initiation into a more kind and compassionate way. And yes, Native Americans killed animals, I believe. I'm not Native American. I'm I'm afraid to even speak what Native Americans did. You know, like, the minute I say it, it's like a white man speaking about Native Americans. You can't do that. And I'm like, well, I'm human too. And I'm, and I'm trying to wrestle with this situation that we're in. And I'm inhabiting the same world with you. Like if I'm in a house and downstairs in the house, somebody's beating and torturing somebody. And it's like, well, you know, that's not your level. You're up here. You've got to just let that person happen. You know, the torture happening down there. Then I'm perpetuating it by not saying anything. But at the same time, like I feel kind of trapped. Like my mouth is sealed shut um i want to touch on one more thing go ahead it's good to talk um talk about that a little bit i think the um what you're talking about just two things one i think with that that movie uh and the and the um the russian you know that that whole russian sort of ignoring this person it's there's also that element i think i mentioned it earlier briefly but the idea of tribalism that we're you know the food that we eat when we're in a tribe we all eat the same food. That's that's part of the thing. And if someone was to come along and say, "Well, you know, I don't want to eat this food anymore," mm-hmm. <laughs> inconceivable. That would be like saying, "Well, you're not part of the tribe anymore. You might as well go off by yourself and die in the in the woods by yourself because you're mm-hmm. you're just rejecting all of us." Totally. And in a sense, when someone walks into the room and says they don't eat meat or they're a vegan, it's sort of announcing, "I'm not part of the tribe." Oh, and yeah. I think on an mm-hmm. unconscious level, so people are triggered. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. oh. You're not, you're not in the tribe of the hell with you, you know, yeah. that kind of a feeling. And uh, so I think what we're seeing happening in a sense is realizing that in a sense, it's time to expand our tribe, you know, expand our conception of the tribe or create a, a more, a tribe, you know, like vegans are a sort of a tribe and it's, we shouldn't be exclusivistic. You know, the whole idea is that all of us as human beings really we're in the same, you know, boat here. But, but, but we have this tribal uh, instinct, in a sense, or a pattern or uh, heritage in some level to, to really identify with our group. And food is, the, is really a key thing. 
and even more, I think, maybe than language or religion, food is where it really can, mm-hmm. <laughs> the rubber hits the road, you know, what you're eating. So, um, so I think that's kind of what was, what plays out. And, um, it's, and the thing about the Native Americans, I think it's interesting, you know, because my, my wife and I were, Madeline and I were at a, um, a, a state park in Virginia a few years ago that was called the, the Natural Bridge State Park. It's a beautiful natural bridge uh, from stone, but there was a, a Native American museum, like an outdoor museum that showed how they lived their lives next to the stream. And they had, the, you know, their their dwellings and their, and they had a couple of Native American people from that tribe uh, who were, I mean, they were descendants of people from that tribe that were docents, kind of explaining everything to the people coming by. And it was so interesting because everybody thought, you know, well, they, they must have eaten a lot of meat and, you know, and so forth. And I remember they had a little corn growing there in this little garden. <clears throat> and I said, wow, that's interesting. They, they were eating corn. So what percentage of the food that they were eating was the corn? And, and the lady said, oh, it's only about 2%. And I said, oh, that's interesting. So um, what percentage of the food that they ate was, say, meat and fish, you know, animals that they killed and so forth? She said, that was about 1%. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I was like, so what were they eating? Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what was the 97%? Yeah. And she said, they were gatherers. Yeah. They would go out and they would gather. They basically lived on acorns wow. and fruits and nuts and things that they would gather. And they would live in an area for two or three years, maybe four years, until it was not that much stuff there anymore. Then they would move to another area for a few more years. And, they would, and then about maybe 20 years later, they'd come back to the same area again. And they just kind of had their territory and they would rotate around. And they primarily gathered. They would do a little bit of hunting or fishing, she said, but they really didn't need to. They, they could gather. There was plenty of food. And this was in the mountains of Virginia where I know it wasn't like living in the, in the jungle where it's fruits just hanging everywhere, you yeah. know, but there was like snow, you know, in the winter and everything. Mm-hmm. And that's how they lived. And fermented book, foods for um, the winter, a lot of cultures would use. You know, pardon? Russian r- ferment, fermented foods. Fermented foods. Yeah, yeah, a lot of sure. cultures would use that during, you know, during, during the winter time. I mean, I guess yeah. what being plant, like eating a plant-based diet or world peace diet, focusing on the compassionate element and the increase of sensitivity and intelligence is kind of what I see is it's almost like the difference between an herbivore's wide view of the world. Like they see everything really wide. They could see things from many angles versus a carnivorous view of the world, which is narrow. It's, you know, they, their <laughs> eyes are straight on the, on the forward and they, and they, they could plow forward very easily. And I think they, by nature, they have the way that you eat decreases, as you mentioned, your sensitivity. Uh, we'll talk about just sensitivity right now instead of intelligence, because I don't want people to think that it's uh, that I'm being pejorative when I say that somebody's eating meat and they're not intelligent. It, not necessarily, what does intelligence mean? Intelligence is a whole dynamic process of being alive, not an ability to you know, simply craft words well. Oftentimes, a lot of the people that I know that are some of the most traditionally intelligent people that you would consider intelligent. They write beautiful books. They, their, their language is uh, robust. And the way that they use their language is, is, is profound and moving, you know. Uh, however, their emotional intelligence, their ability to like be sensitive to what's happening in the moment, I often feel lacking. You know, if I come into, yeah. as my diet became cleaner and cleaner, I found that I became 
number one, I felt I became way more sensitive to the environment around me. Like work situations became intolerable, certain work situations became intolerable, certain groups and places of being became, I couldn't do it unless I was drinking. I'd have to do other things to mask it. What the meat was masking, then instead I had to mask with alcohol. I had to mask with opiates. I had to mask a lot of things because that sensitivity came on all of a sudden and in my environment didn't match the degree of sensitivity and my my body didn't have any idea it was just freaking out and and I think that people take that sign of increased sensitivity as some negative element like this is something bad like mm. like good or bad you know this is something bad that I feel more emotion you know I need to be especially mm-hmm. as a man I need to be tougher you know it wasn't that I wasn't keeping on muscle or I didn't have more energy. I got sick less. I had way more energy and I had way more muscle. And when I was by myself, I felt way better emotionally. Yeah. It's when it's everywhere else I go. I went, I became like an empath, like not an empathetic sponge, but I became empathetic and I started to pick up things I'd never picked up before. And my consciousness, my awareness had no idea what to do with it. It was maybe reminiscent of being a child and having a rather rough child. I mean, speaking I had a very rough childhood. So maybe it was that sensitivity came alive again. And I think about the Native Americans that went from eating maybe almost no meat to eating almost like in some cases, almost exclusively that as a sign of having to move so many times. You you have to eat meat when you have to keep moving, you know, and they, you know, Native yeah. Americans had to keep getting pushed out and they had to keep hunting in order to be able to survive, in order to be able to live. And there was less and less food. So even they would worry that maybe there wouldn't be any food left. And uh, so you can't really farm and grow and be creative when you keep getting uprooted. Right. No, that's true. And that's one of the things that actually happened from the very beginning. Um, the, The herding cultures um, would, as they expanded, into the territory of people who were not herders, who were farmers or had orchards or trees, they would cut down the trees, they would sow salt into the fields, and then they would basically take over the, and destroy those cultures. So the, the herding cultures historically were much more violent and, ma- and more patriarchal. And the more matriarchal or matrilineal or more uh, sort of cooperative societies very often got destroyed uh, and taken over. Uh, as they spread into Central Asia, to, into Europe, and then came here. Um, I have a book out. Uh, it's, a, it's a collection of essays called Circles of Compassion, Essays Connecting Issues of Justice. It's sort of about uh, how our treatment of animals and racism and sexism and other human justice and uh, issues are um, connected. And there's a, an essay in there by a woman who's a Cherokee Indian, and she talks about you know, this, how her people really ate virtually no meat at all. Um, but when the Europeans came over, uh, they were, you know, kept getting pushed off their land. And of course, nowadays, uh, the meat industry uses the Indians, in a sense, as a foil, right? Now, they ate meat. They were the noble ones. They were free. They were in harmony with nature. They're eating meat. That's what we should all be doing if we want to be really uh, more like the Indians. That, you know, this great thing. And meanwhile, of course, the Indians are in the reservations being totally exploited, having alcohol and, you know, everything. You know, it's a terrible thing. But, uh, but this is the way the system has unfolded. And I'm really not that interested in, in finding en- you know, particular enemies. Mm-hmm. I think the whole idea is to see that we're wounded and to heal the wounds. You know, mm-hmm. what, what is effective totally. to heal the wounds? Um, because 
And one of the problems I think uh, we find is that people who do what we're talking about, move to a plant-based way of eating for ethical reasons, you know, say we go vegan, you know, that kind of thing, is that then we think that we're better than other people, right? You know, they're not, they don't get it. They're still eating animal foods, these pathetic people, they're, they're violence, they're insensitive. I think that's a really a huge mistake because in a way, there's nothing to be proud of being a vegan. It's just simply coming home eventually. It's like a journey back home to our own true nature where when we see a being, we see a being rather than seeing a commodity or an object to be used. It's, it's that we've been able to take that away from our, that, those blinders away. Um, but people, you know, if someone is wounded, we don't go up and kick them again, you know, and say, you stupid, you know, we, we try to be healing and healing, I think really ultimately is love and kindness and caring and respect. So I think the most important thing we can do is what you're doing, you know, is just to tell our own story, you know, to tell our story with respect, uh, for others. I am so glad that I discovered that the only reason I was eating animal foods all those years that I did was because I was just following orders. And, that, and, and that's the basic truth. No one who's eating animal foods is doing it for any other reason. We're, we're indoctrinated into this. No one would, would be doing it. No, no, for sure, no one would be ever eating any dairy products. We never would think of that. Mm -hmm. But to, to uh, imprison animals and kill them and uh, this whole system, we're born into it. So people who are doing it today, like, like you said, their family taught them and their ranchers or their farmers, they're doing it. They're just following orders that were inserted into them from infancy, even before they were born, probably. They're yeah, still the in the womb, womb they're yeah. getting it, right? I mean, it's just, it cuts in so deep. And so, but, but the, so if we just say that, you're just saying that truth, just speaking that one sentence, I'm so glad I discovered that the only reason I was eating animal foods was because I was just following orders. And I realized it was not in my best interest, not in the best interest really of anyone, except maybe a, a few big drug companies. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not doing it anymore, and it's fantastic. You know, that basic, uh, idea you know that that is transformational because no one wants to simply be a robot just following orders that are not in their best interest that are destroying their life making giving them cancer heart disease erectile dysfunction liver disease kidney disease you know all these cancers and all this stuff and uh and just doing it and you know and, and just and ruining the planet and so forth so when we when we say that and then just kind of let go, just let go. Don't try to change it. The whole thing is, if I try to change someone, like if someone tried to change me, I would fight back. So if I if some if I try to change someone, if I come across like, well, I'm the vegan, you know, I know better than you. You don't understand. You know, you're still programmed. People are going to resist. They're going to hate it. You know, they no one wants to face that. So the whole idea is to just share our idea. You know, I, I discovered this this discovery, and do it and find ways of doing it that gives space for it so people can actually digest that and make the change on their own, not to push them into it. Because if we try to change people, they resist. If we don't try to change them, um, but just live, like Gandhi said, you know, live this change ourselves, we plant these seeds. And, the, and the, the person's own wisdom and awareness that's been suppressed starts to water those seeds inside their own consciousness. And then pretty soon, they start thinking, hmm, maybe I'll try that. You know, and they won't remember our conversation. That's best if they don't even remember it. If we really do yeah. it well, they'll forget us completely. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, just plant the seed, let go, and without judgment. And I think the problem is, you know, we have all of us are bombarded. Oops, sorry. All of us are bombarded with all these all these inputs and memories from the past of eating roast beef. My mother, when she, you know, she made roast beef, that means she loves me. And now now I'm eating tofu. Nobody ever made tofu. <laughs> we have these old memories. So the whole idea is to, 
just keep expanding the dialogue like like you're doing just keep bringing up these ideas and making these connections i want to speak to the mind here i feel like a lot of this is speaking to the heart which i think is so important but we've become so top heavy and in our mind that like somehow we could pull our be pulled out of this and i see somebody myself included uh reading that what are you talking about all these new studies we live in a time where you could basically tell just about any story and come up with enough footnotes to prove that that's the case right. so like you could prove that uh the world trade center was you know taken down by the, the u.s government for economic reasons you could prove it was done by terrorists i mean you could show that uh that the sun is adjusting its heat and has nothing to do with what's happening on the planet. You could show that we have no soul, that we're complete accidents happening in a big bang somewhere and everything is mechanical and predetermined. You could show that I mean, these stories, you could show so many different things. And I, and I, I want to speak to the economic perspective here that the, the people that are talking about compassion and the heart and, you know, and changing the way that things are that are going against what the main narrative is in the zeitgeist, that they're going against that narrative. It's right. it's like somehow for them, they've got to provide hundred times the amount of proof in, in right. order to show that that's the way it should be. And the other, the other side that is the, the, the already fixed stream that's really deep just goes, no, not enough protein, uh, need to eat collagen. They, they could say just like one thing and like it just yanks. If you don't have like a community of people around you, one thing could yank you out. And a lot of people, when they hear this, they want to just turn it off and like turn on their computer and look up why veganism is bad for your bones. And like you could find all sorts of things and you could turn around why the cholesterol uh, element of being bad for your heart actually was disproven now. You know, there's studies that show it's not bad and Eskimos eat all meat and actually, you know, they... You could prove kind of, you could find whatever you're looking for. And I have a book up here called The Age of Surveillance Capitalism. It's a gigantic like book. And it talks about essentially even what you see is based on how you click and how you engage because your awareness is now even sold. Even the nature of what it means to be human, your own human space, our conversations. I guarantee you our conversations are being recorded. Even though I'm on flight mode, it's picking up Wi-Fi. And I'll probably see things popping up about things that I've said here. So I want to speak to the intelligence aspect of the mental, logical, rational brain. So if you think this is all just a bunch of you know, compassionate, because that's not coming from your heart, that's coming from your mind. This is all just a bunch of, you know, new age, compassionate people that just can't hack it and be tough in the world and kill their deer and skin it. That instead, use that same rational mind and go, well, if I wanted to perpetuate the same thing, how would I go about doing that? It's, it's very easy. It's very difficult to do this element. Yeah, that those are really, that's great. I mean, those are really good questions. I think, you know, from my point of view, uh, I tried this out as an, as an experiment, but I really, I did it for uh, ethical reasons and uh, became a vegetarian back in 1975 and then 1980 became a vegan. So now it's just about 39, almost 40 years. I haven't eaten any meat, dairy products or eggs. I wrote, I wrote this book, The World Peace Diet. It's been translated into 16 languages. Uh, I've been giving it probably an average of two to 300 lectures a year <laughs> for the last, uh, you know, 10 years, 15 years. 
I've spoken to thousands of people. I've heard every possible question, I think, and, and, and uh, rebuttal or, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, all the different rationalizations that people have. So I can just say that from my point of view at this point, is the good news is there really are no, uh, there's no downside to compassion for animals and moving to a plant-based way of eating and living, a vegan way of eating and living. There's, there really are no objections that hold water. There's no objections that are that have any merit. I haven't heard any, and, and every single one. I mean, whatever it is, um, it's sort of like trying to find a, a reason why it's okay to be a pedophile or, or I mean, to, to rape children or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can have all kinds of reasons. It's good for the economy. Uh, it, it gives me a lot of energy. I feel much better. You can have all kinds of reasons. I mean, you can you know, if we lived in a culture yeah, I mean, where that's they, the, the child did, you can probably get raped up, later, but, more violently. At least this yeah, is right. a gentle you could have all, form yeah. of it's, it. You know, I mean, that would be they're not you know out in the wild getting a wor- worse thing done to them like they would have happened to them or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, they, in other countries, kind of they're like, sold into sex slavery as children, right. and here they still get to eat and they get to grow up yes. and be something else. And plus, it it happened to me or whatever. They just have one bad day, right? Something. One bad day. So the whole idea is. There's no, there are no nutrients that we human beings need to thrive and celebrate our lives on this beautiful and abundant planet that we have to abuse or kill an animal to get, right? No nutrients, none, zero. There's no nutrients that we need to do that. So whether they're, they're herded, factory farms, small family backyard, hunted, whatever, we don't need to. We don't, there's no nutrients. Like all the carbohydrates, all the amino acids that make up all the proteins, all the fiber, all the vitamins, all the minerals, all the whatever, all the nutrients, we don't have to kill an animal. That, that, there's no one that argues seriously um, against that at this point. Now, you do have, we do have a few people who live, like you were saying, like the, the Eskimos, there are people you know, the, uh, in, in very extreme climates that uh, it looks like it would be hard for them. So, you know, I, I don't go up there trying to tell those people they should be vegan, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, there, there's a tiny, tiny minority of people, maybe, you know, less than, you know, half of 1% or whatever of people living on the planet that are living in extreme environments where it might be difficult for them to live on, on a totally plant-based uh, way of, of eating. Um, however, I've been to Alaska uh, and I've been to uh, the vegan societies that are up in Anchorage and Wasilla and farther north and they're thriving. A lot of people are thriving on plant-based eating and most and if you look at the actual Eskimos now most of them are eating uh, junk food. You know they're eating stuff that's shipped out there. They're eating Coca, you know, Coca-Cola and fast food and you know they're just eating what's shipped in anyway. So they could easily be eating rice and beans and be much healthier and they wouldn't have the, the terrible health that they have. But, but the idea is um, we can easily feed everyone on this planet on a fraction of the land. We can feed everyone. 100% of the people could be fed easily on a fraction of the land. And um, we could grow most of the food locally. I think, you know, we might have to ship a little bit of food around, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Like some people think, well, local is everything, you know? And if I'm in a cold climate, then I have to have an animal. But I think, first of all, I have to realize that uh, shipping uh, some beans or, you know, concentrated foods like that or grains um, takes very little en- actual energy. Uh, and if someone uh, is doing something local, I mean, there, there's been uh, essays on this that's showing that, you know, at a local farmer's market, if you have a local guy growing even something benign like apples, you know, and he's growing apples, but he, he puts them in the back of a pickup truck and drives 40 miles, uh, and, you know, and it only has a few hundred apples, 
that's actually more fuel per mile than if somebody else buys them at the grocery store from New Zealand. You know, when they're shipped on a big ship, you know, 10,000 or whatever it is, 100,000 apples on one ship, you know, it's actually a lot less energy than buying it. And you think, well, I bought it at the farmer's market. This is the best thing. So, so wait a second. You're like, saying that it actually is better for the environment to ship 10,000 of them from New Zealand. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it uses less energy per yeah. apple, when right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. if, you're looking, if you're only buying 20 apples, you're, you're taking less petroleum buying 20 apples from New Zealand than if you go to the farmer's market where the guy drives in his little pickup truck. You know, I mean, the whole idea is if you really look at this carefully, but beyond a doubt, as soon as you start eating animal foods, the amount of energy required goes through the roof. I mean, it, it takes huge amounts of energy because these animals have to be processed. They have to drink. They have to eat huge amounts of water I mean, and, and land and petroleum and, and so forth. So it, it's just you can't ever feed people. People who you know, say we should have free-range and grass-fed so forth animals, I mean, already, if everyone uh, on the planet ate the way people in the United States eat, it would take about three, two and a half to three Earths to feed everyone, because we eat more meat than pretty much any country in the world. If we change that to, to uh, free-ranging grass-fed, it goes to like 17 Earths or something. I mean, we, we, don't, we can't even come close. I mean, the grass-feed <laughs> have a, you know, that amount of land it would take to, to feed people that way. So the whole idea is that when we're eating plant-based foods, we have people that are they're doing farming on relatively small pieces of land and, and getting 20 or 30 or 40,000 pounds of food out of a quarter or half an acre. Uh, and we can, you know, it, it's possible to grow huge amounts of food in small spaces and uh, with much less water and land and petroleum. And we haven't even started scratching the surface really of, of, of actually using our intelligence in a way to feed everybody. We're not doing that. We're not even looking. There's like small groups of people that are are generally not making a lot of money because they're not living in the traditional economic system. So they don't have a lot of leisure time. And that's where a lot of ideas come from is when there's space for the ideas to come in. And then there's collaboration. Most of the land is already owned by other people. Like, I, I, there's a lot of beautiful things we'd love to do. We'd love to have an animal sanctuary. We'd love to have a, you know, a, a vegan food forest that, you know, we're able to do whatever we'd like with. And the, there's a barrier of entry. We've got to like go over here and make enough money to get the land, to like get the people to like be able to put it in. And if you're doing permaculture, it takes years to get it producing. Once, once you get it there, it just produces it almost without any, with very little effort. Or It's actually even enjoyable to be wandering around in the garden. We scheduled this for the 11 to 1 o'clock your time so that you would have time to go spend in your garden. You weren't like, oh gosh, I'm going to go toil under the... You know, you know, under the conditions of torture, you know, and and I hear a lot of like a lot of the Enlightenment era, like Steven Pinker esque arguments are that, you know, the way that the Americans live these, you know, other places like India or Bangladesh or in different parts of China. The minute a factory opens, people can't wait to stop farming and go work in the factories. But what they're not realizing is that they're working in factories outside They're monocrop farming breaking their back all day for and dying sometimes out there and they're and they're told that this and when you're suffering and you're told hey this other thing is better than this you're like well shit this sucks and i clearly feel this is off you go there and it's also terrible so uh um i i had some i wanted to touch on something it's it's been sitting with me since the beginning portion and it was a a story that happened to me i brought my mom out to Kauai, and she ate mostly 
vegan while she was there just because we made all the food until like we went to a place that had meat and she's like, you know, this is so great. And, uh, but she loves animals and was infuriate, infuriated about me watching this movie. I had no idea what was going to happen. And it was called Water for Elephants. I didn't know what it was about, but they ended up beating this elephant in the back of this, uh, train and she still to this day this is 12 years later you're so sadistic what you did you showed me this movie and you know at the same time you know she eats meat with every meal bought at costco you know my my, my stepfather even gets mad that they only have free cage free eggs at costco because he shouldn't be forced to pay for that chicken's extra freedom you know and uh <laughs> he's like i don't want to pay for that fuck them put them on top of each other i don't give a shit you know um I, I was down in Kauai with her and we were talking and I was like, you know, trying to look up vegan Russian food recipes because I used to not really, I, I mean, there's some of the food I liked, but and I just never even thought to look up if there were vegan food recipes. And in looking up vegan food recipes, I discovered the craziest thing because my family is highly religious. I was an altar boy as a kid. And, uh, and I look and, and, and on this vegan food recipe site, it said, that the Russian monks, not the priests, the monks of the Russian Orthodox Church are vegan. And you can't even imagine, I've been given so much shit for so many years about like how it's not part of my culture and da da da. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? And I asked my mom, like, look at this, the Russian monks are vegan. She goes, oh yeah, everybody knows that. I'm like, you you've been giving me shit about this for 20 years. <laughs> like, like, like not, and there's been a lot of these things. If you look, you'll see things uncover. In the economic system, the reason why it's been getting so squeezed is because there's never been a clean, there hasn't been a clean slate in something like over 2,000 years where like they get rid of the debts. It's been, money's been accumulating and, and because technology has been advancing, more and more areas of what it means to be human and more of the ecology is moving into the economic realm. So it's able to like continuously hoard amongst very few people. Something like 50% of all the world's wealth is in the hands of 65 people. And I was thinking, well, you know, maybe this is true, da da da, but I have to dig so much because I'm not just going to jump on a conspiracy theory. Then all of a sudden I uncovered and one of the random things I was reading, and I, and I couldn't believe it when I looked it up. It was kind of like this Russian monk thing that, do you know what was written on the Rosetta Stone, Will Tuttle? <laughs> it was, yes. huh? huh? Yeah, go ahead. It go was, ahead, tell it. Yeah, it was the, do you know what it is? What was written on it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. It was, you know, it, it was how we were able to figure out what Egyptian hieroglyphs meant because there was two other languages, Greek and, and another one. And, and what was written on it was a clean slate. It was a debt for, it was a debt forgiveness. Like what would be so important to put on that thing? And I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? Like, am I been living in a, dim a different dimension? Have I been lied to? What have I been lied to about? And that's a very uncomfortable feeling. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I wanted to tell that story because that's yeah. been burning in me. Yeah, it's really, that's it. You know, this, this um, slavery of animals, which is really so deeply at the core of our society that we're eating them, we're enslaving them. They're just property. We buy and sell them by the pound. You know, that, that crudest of all possible things. You imagine buying and selling beings by the pound. They're just sheer matter. That's why we live in a materialistic society because of animal agriculture. Animal agriculture is the fundamental underlying template and we reduce everything to just matter. And so if you can't measure it, then it doesn't exist. And that, that extreme, there's never been a society in the history of the world, I don't think, that's been so materialistic. And so that enslavement of animals, then, of course, as we sow, so shall we reap. So we're sowing the seeds of enslaving those animals. And we, of course, are the ones getting enslaved ourselves. So the only way that we can 
really truly plant seeds of liberation for ourselves is to liberate those who are in our hands, who we are con confining and abusing with all of our rationalizations, why it's okay to do. When we liberate them, then we will be worthy of being free ourselves. And until that point, we're not worthy of it. We're still thinking that we can dominate and exploit and oppress other living beings and not care about them. And somehow we should be entitled to have a really good, just uh, president, you know, and Congress and Supreme Court and bankers that really care about us. And <laughs> I mean, we have to understand, and it's not, it's not our fault. We're born into the system. See, that's the thing. We don't have to blame ourselves. We're born into a system that's, that from the, the time we're born, it's repressed our natural ethical awareness, our natural spiritual awareness, our natural awareness, our intelligence. Um, that, but that's not an excuse. Now, now we're we now it's time for us to reclaim our true nature. If we don't do it, then we are a slave. We, we don't realize it. The slavery is so, like you say, it's it's uh, it's economic, it's cultural. Where we we where we can choose between buying one type of car or another, maybe. But but the whole idea is the work we have, the way we live. The fact, the very fact, actually, sometimes people come up to me with this one. This is the most common question I get, probably. One of the most common is that about eggs. People say, look, I've got this neighbor, and she loves her chickens. They're happy. They're just living out there. They give their eggs. I mean, there's nothing wrong with eating those eggs, right? And, of course, they want me to say, sure, nothing wrong. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm not going to say that because it's not true. The, the, the thing is, since we are so enslaved ourselves, since we are, uh, the slavery within us is so deep, we can't see slavery. We can't see that these hens have been violently torn out of their, where they lived and, and thrived for millions of years, which is the jungles of Southeast Asia, where they lived in communities with males and in a jungle ecosystem. And now we've taken them all and taken, killed all the males. We have just a bunch of females living and we're feeding them and they're our property. Uh, we're taking care of them. And so they're free, right? I mean, they're happy. We're, they're being fed and we just take their eggs. Uh, and maybe if they get too old, we let them die or maybe we don't. It depends. But the basic idea is that uh, there's nothing wrong with that. And so the fact is that we have stolen their sovereignty. They don't have sovereignty over their lives. But since we've also lost our sovereignty, we don't recognize that. People are like, like go to a zoo and they think this is educational. This is, it is educational. It's teaching people that, that other beings who have lost their sovereignty uh, are worth looking at. Only people who are slaves would ever go to a zoo. You know, you, you, people who are free would be so repulsed by this, they would be trying to free the animals. You couldn't let that happen. You know? so, yeah. so the whole idea is to understand that this is a movement about liberation. It, it's liberating animals out of our, um, out of our awareness, and that's the foundation for liberating ourselves. And the economic system is, part, is a huge part of the, of the slavery, and the medical system is a huge part of the slavery. And of course, the the uh, every, everything else. I mean, the religious system is a huge part of the slavery. The governmental system is a huge part of the slavery. The family system is a huge part of the slavery. It's all part of the same slavery. It's all part of the animal agriculture. We are herded the same way we herd the animals, and we have to be mandatorily vaccinated, and we have to go to school, and we have to follow the rules. You know, and if we don't, it, it, violence will come upon us. Right? I mean, that's what will happen. So. What we're talking about essentially is each one of us doing what we can do in our own lives to liberate those who are in our hands, animals. And I have to say, 
what I hear when I travel and we go around and we talk to people about you know going vegan, they, there's one thing they always say is that they regret. The one thing they regret about going vegan was they didn't do it earlier mm-hmm. in their life. You know, it's, you're not giving up anything. People people think, oh, I'm going to give up you know, this delicious bacon or this delicious egg or cheese, or whatever. And we realize that when we give that up, it's not giving up anything. It's like giving up getting, you know, you have your hand on a hot stove, you take your hand away, you're giving up getting burned, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, not giving up anything. The food gets better. Relationships get better. I mean, we may find ourselves in difficult situations. I mean, it's true. We, you know, because we go to Thanksgiving and everybody's eating the turkey and we've got to deal with that, right? And so it's challenging. It is challenging, but there's a deeper reward that there's no price. I mean, it, it's, it's so beautiful to live a life where I'm doing the best I can not to be part of the problem, to be part of the solution and actually live according to my own values and not according to imposed values that really I don't agree with. And there's nothing because our life is so short. We're only here for a few years. I mean, already I'm, you know, 66 years old. I mean, it flies by so fast. Mm-hmm. You so, look great, by the way. For those listening to the podcast, <laughs> if I were to, if we were to say you were 40, 40, uh, people would Yeah, right. I know. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's true. Really it's true. It's uh, it's one of the side benefits of mm-hmm. <laughs> eating right. healthy and living. But I think you know the, the idea is that our life goes by very quickly, and so when we leave our body, which is guaranteed, it's going to happen. That's what's going to matter. You know, we're going to we're going to look back and we're going to think, gosh, you know, did I just was I just come here and kill a lot of animals and cause a lot of misery and then go? Uh, yeah, I don't make- I don't understand how people separate. Oh. The idea that like all of this is going on, but yet I'm living and then I'm different than that somehow. And I, I, for some reason, I'm blessed or cursed, depending on when you ask, to be incapable of not making certain connections that make moving in certain ways very difficult. And uh, and there's an internal shame spiral that happens. Like I should be able to do this thing that for some reason I can't get myself to do. Therefore, somehow I'm weak. Therefore, I need to be hard on myself to get myself to be tougher. What comes to mind is like a, a boxer or someone that's not really violent punching themselves in the face to get themselves riled up to like be able to like fight something. Well, I think that right. also speaks to the idea in our culture that suffering is inevitable. And so there becomes this kind of numbing uh, mechanism in our systems where we can compartmentalize things that are happening our food we can kind of compartmentalize and we can really just follow our taste buds rather than the whole story of where that food came from and and what goes on behind the scenes and once you know you can't really unforget but it's just this very interesting like how do we not only because I really loved what you mentioned in your book I loved your whole book and I thought it was excellent that you really touched on the, you know, what we do onto others, we'll do onto ourselves and the correlations between what's happening in the meat industry and what's happening in our society and all of our health problems and this epidemic of obesity that's increasing. And then you end this whole chapter with still this point that if we choose it solely for our own bodies and our own health, it may be in vain. And we may not, you know, keep that, that decision because we might, oh, I just really crave that, that hamburger and I don't care about my health anymore, you know, but really if we do it out of a sake of compassion. And so it's almost like we have to like reawaken these parts of ourselves that have numbed for generations of, of suffering and struggle and maybe starvation and, uh, you know, I can't imagine what our 
ancestors, especially coming from Northern Europe, must have dealt with at a time of just like, you know, food shortage. And now we're just in this time where there's absolutely no food shortage. And so realizing that we we have this opportunity to reawaken our compassion, it almost feels like this superpower within all humans that is being really limited. Like when I see most of, you know, general society walking around, I feel like I'm among a bunch of children in adult-sized bodies, and I almost feel like that's because of a lack of sensitivity and compassion, and we don't really support that. So um, I guess I just also wonder, I, I, you know, after reading your book, I felt like such a strong pull to be part of this movement, you know, and get louder and talk about it, and then yet I don't want to shame people, and so how do we awaken people's compassion without without shame, you know? It's- yeah, that's beautiful. I think Exactly it. You know, the, um, the idea is there's no reason to, to, to criticize anybody. We're, we're wounded. Like I say, we're, we came into this from the time we were little kids and we were forced to eat. If you just go to the, the, the baby food section, you we're forced to eat little jars of turkey and veal and chicken and beef. You know, we get, we get some veggies and fruits too, but we, we always get that meat and dairy because you know, our parents want to make sure we get plenty of protein. <laughs> you know, so we're eating this stuff. We don't know what it is. And it's just, it's unfortunately, it's, it's physically toxic, but at a deeper level, it's so toxic to the earth, to the animals, and then to our psychology and to our spiritual and ethical dimensions uh, because we're, they're being completely shut down. And I think that's the wound. It's um, animal agriculture, when you really go deep into it, it's demonic. It's some, there's something about it where we have to just disconnect ourselves profoundly from the feelings uh, that we would naturally have for other living beings. And the fact that most of, so many people in our society have companion animals like pet dogs or cats who they really learn to love and respect and care for and see as individuals and would oh, be yeah. absolutely infuriated if someone came along and said anything about their dog or cat yeah, or hurt yeah. them, was going to hurt them in any way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet we have this parallel, right, of cows and pigs and chickens and turkeys and ducks and geese and, you know, and even fishes are well understood to be completely sentient like we are. Yeah. And we, 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 we compartmentalize, we, we create these, this, we have this capacity that's injected into us, really, it's not in our best interest to compartmentalize, to just draw these, these hard lines within ourselves. I care about them. I don't care about them. Like, right. You know, that, that kind of a thing. That's a wound. When, and so all veganism really is, if you call it, you know, or just, it's not veganism. I don't even like using the word. Just It's just like liberation, really. Yeah. Liberation and healing and awakening is simply to allow those compartments to dissolve and to begin to look with eyes that see what's actually happening. Yeah. <laughs> see beings as being, instead of, instead of just having this, these filters, you know, where we just see, oh, that's a pig. Okay, so I'm going to, it doesn't matter what happens to her and actually see with our own eyes what's actually happening, it's an awakening. And it's mm-hmm. a birth. It's really a new birth. And people who have not been born don't know what it's like after they've been for, to, to be born, right? I mean, yeah. it's like, like, being in a, in, um, like being in the womb, for example. Being in the womb is really comfortable. You know, I, I, I can imagine. I can't remember it really very well. But, <laughs> but I mean, being inside the womb, you're like, I'm one with mom. It's, it's, everything is given. Here I am, warm, safe, secure. But then these forces start pushing. And pretty soon, it's like, oh, man, this is getting really stressful. Mm-hmm. And then we're propelled out. 
and now we're born and we have these wonderful new possibilities that we never had if we stayed in the womb the whole time, right? We can, we can go, we can create, and we have all these people welcoming us and saying, great, I'm glad you're here and so forth, and, you know, if we're lucky. But the other thing, being born as a vegan is similar because we're, when we're in society and we're just eating what everybody's eating, we're sort of, we're, it's like being in the womb. We're, we're just asleep. Yeah. We're just, I, oh, there's McDonald's, yum, yum, yum. I love that. That's great. Let's go out with our friends and go hunting. Oh, that's mm-hmm. great. That's fun. We're just in this womb. And, but there's so many possibilities we don't have because we're still in, in just a product of our culture. That's it. Yeah. So once we see a video or we, somebody talk, says they were vegan and we go, oh, what's that? And it's like, it starts getting uncomfortable. We start getting pushed yeah. <laughs> into this birth and we may go, I don't want to go there. I, you know, I don't want to get out of this comfortable womb, yeah. but we don't realize. And, when, and once we actually go through that birth canal and we, and we commit and we say, okay, now this is it. It's not really a commitment. It's just like, this is who I am. I'm not going to pay someone to stab and rape animals. You know, it's ridiculous. Yeah. And uh, now we have a whole new set of possibilities that really are unimaginable to live our life with more freedom, more uh, joy, more creativity. And it's something to really celebrate. The mm-hmm. problem is that instead of being welcomed, uh, we're not welcomed very well in our society because we're still such a tiny minority. Uh, yeah. Everybody who, around us, they're not happy about it. The fact that we've left, right? They're, mm-hmm. they're criticizing us yeah. usually yeah. and think we're the bad one, that we don't need the food. And then even very often, even other vegans are not that welcoming. Unfortunately, we're still trying to struggle. <laughs> a lot of vegans are still trying to like, you know, get their act together. So I think as the, the whole thing is as this movement grows and it's growing every day, it's just getting easier and easier for everyone. There's more restaurants, there's more delicious food, there's more acceptance, there's just a bigger community that can begin to welcome people and, and, be, and mentor each other. And there's yeah. a big learning curve of how you make meals that are healthy and delicious. What do you say to the guy that says, well, you went vegan? That's stupid because if everybody went vegan, cows would take over the earth. And Oh, I didn't think of that. What do I do now? You know, yeah. All these things. Oh, plants have feelings too. Or the Indians ate meat. Or gosh, yeah. you know, I go out and kill my own meat. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, we, have to, we have all these things we have to digest and learn how to respond yeah. to. And some people say, I don't really want to deal with that. And then some people just get angry. You know, just yeah. go through this whole stage and get, we can get stuck in this angry stage for, for years. I was in it for a few years. Just, I understood everything. And now I was just, I wanted to shake everybody totally. until they went vegan, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now I want to force them. I realized it's, it's just counterproductive because right. uh, people don't, you know, they're, they're, they're in the majority. They don't have to change. Right. right, right. <laughs> and the whole idea is that uh, once we understand the history, that's why I really, I wrote the world peace type. And once you understand the history and the psychology and the sociology and the spiritual and, and religious and all these other dimensions and the economic and the and health capacities, we begin to see all this and we have more empathy for people who are still eating animal foods and we want to try to help heal them heal. And this is a great way to do it. Just come together, have a podcast, right? You know, discuss the issues so people can make the connections and go forth and spread the, you know, plant the seeds and spread the message. And I think it's happening. The mm-hmm. beautiful thing is that I think there is perhaps, I mean, this is, sounds kind of metaphysical, but I think on some level, um, there is some kind of energy coming into the human species right now that's just pushing us to awaken. Because when I think of the horrific um, violence and domination that children are exposed to and all of us are exposed to just to make enough money to survive in the society. Mm-hmm. And in spite of that, I go out and go shopping. Everybody's you know, smiling and friendly. And, you know, we're, we're actually amazing how good we do, how, how well we're able to deal with the situation that mm-hmm. we're in. 
And I think when we get our food more under act together, and it's happening. I mean, the, I just read yesterday that the largest dairy company in the whole United States just filed for bankruptcy. You know, oh, wow. foods. I mean, there's massive changes happening. People are abandoning yeah. meat, dairy products, and eggs because they're realizing what we're talking about. It's unhealthy. It's devastating to the environment. And, uh, you know, these poor animals are suffering. And it's, it's all these things are happening. So I think uh, the whole idea is to just live every day as best we can as an expression of our curiosity, mm. as an expression of our willingness to be uh, able, you know, to, to wake up, to, to, to try to find out what's really going on here. And, mm-hmm. and to just question everything, question everything, yeah. absolutely everything, especially the mass media. It's, it's just a, the media is just a mouthpiece for these forces of domination and exploitation and to make our own media. That's why I love doing this because, mm-hmm. you know, it's so making great. our own mm-hmm. media. Yeah. You know, this, yeah, this is much more truth than you can ever get from the New York Times. For right. sure. Right. Hmm. What I, I want to touch on this angry vegan topic mm-hmm. uh, because I think that uh, there is a reason for that, that there's a lot of angry vegans. I feel like a lot of the people that are vegans are people that may have been really bullied or abused as children and very different. Yeah. And, more sensitive. Yeah, mm-hmm. more sensitive. And then all of a sudden they go vegan and then some people like attack them, you know, or go like make a comment and all of a sudden they're like, Rah! they like, like, they, and they don't realize <laughs> right. that that makes everyone not want to be vegan. Oftentimes when I, I make a judgment on an entire group of people based on my sample size, it's called an availability heuristic, meaning based on my experience is all, I don't know what you see is all there is. So right, uh, right. It's, there's a term in, in, uh, in, in economics, psychology, social psychology, what you see is all there is. And so they see this couple angry vegans or they see this, you know, and I think a lot of men, like real masculine men, are afraid of the, what they perceive to be either really feminine men vegans or which, or the really tough, oftentimes masculine female vegans. And they're like, I don't want to be either one of those. And then they stop looking, they, they compartmentalize, this is what vegans are. They forget that you know, Leo Tolstoy was a vegan. They forget that Albert Einstein was a vegetarian. I don't know if they were vegans. There, there's been many famous and very strong, the gladiators in Rome, granted they were also right. slaves. They've done studies and found that they were eating a vegetarian or even vegan diet. And uh, I don't think anybody would ever say that these are people that are very, you know, weak. And the, and you go, well, what, how, how would they be able to do that? Well, the challenge is, is that you'd have probably more energy. You would have less chance of getting some foodborne illness as well. And it's cheaper. So it's cheaper to eat this way. So it makes you think like, well, if it's cheaper, it's healthier, it gives me more energy. Why would I, why would I not do that? Um, well, that's the true. And it's one of the problems because in many countries and even here, when people um, start making more money, you know, then the status goes up. They the, the eat more meat mm-hmm. you can eat, the higher status. So that's why I think it's really important for people, especially listening to this, you know, especially people living in the United States, for example, or in, or in Europe, um, we, we are sort of at, at the top of the uh, economic scale, industrialized nations, using most of the resources. Um, and, I, and actually, when I travel, you know, we travel a lot. We're heading soon you know, to Southeast Asia for a month, giving lectures. 
and uh, we travel all over the world. And really, still today, uh, the United States is still the most emulated culture in the world. Like people are looking to the United States for leadership, not not just uh, because we have the biggest army, but you know Hollywood and everything. It's just sort of people uh, songs and everything. So I think as people in the United States go vegan, as this as the movement grows here, and we say you know, we're the richest and most powerful and we're vegan and we're going vegan, that sends a really powerful message. Because right now it's not. Right now we're sending McDonald's and Burger King, Kentucky Fried Chicken. Eating American food means eating a lot of meat and dairy. And we see how devastating that is. All over Africa, you know, Kentucky Fried Chicken is taking over and Burger King. And, and we see elephants and giraffes and zebras just being destroyed because now there's these huge fields of genetically engineered corn and soy and alfalfa to feed all these imprisoned animals to feed so they can eat more meat, right? And it's, it's, there won't be any wildlife left. I mean, if, we, if the American uh, example continues, uh, so as people living in the United States, I think when we go, each one of us questions the official narrative in our society of violence towards animals and moves more toward awareness and, and kindness toward other, other beings, we send them, our, our message is multiplied. I mean, it really goes out. You know, so we live in a, uh, a critical time in history and in a critical place, I think, in history, if we live in an, uh, an industrialized nation. And uh, it's really great, I think, like when I go to China or India, they, they love it, seeing an American who's vegan and, and healthy and, and really encouraging them to eat their traditional foods. Africa, we t- eat your traditional foods. They were plant-based. You know, and don't, don't just do what the Americans do. Yeah. <laughs> don't eat all this stuff. Look yeah. what's happening to the Americans. I mean, they're the sickest people. They have more people in prison per capita than any country in the world, the highest rates of most of the diseases in the world, the highest rates of child uh, sickness and chronic disease in the world. You don't want to copy the Americans. You know, do, you know, do your traditional thing. And, uh, and it's empowering to people, I think, to realize that their, their elders had wisdom. I mean, going back, if you go back far enough, you find these roots uh, where people were living a more simple life and had what you're talking about, more leisure. You know, leisure is the foundation of society. If we don't have leisure, we yeah. can't create anything beautiful. You know, take, have time to create, to, to have relationships, yeah. to, just, to just savor the beauty of this earth. You know, to me, I, I can almost hardly do anything because I spend all my time just looking at the beautiful trees mm-hmm. <laughs> and the birds I mean, what else are we supposed to do besides that, really? I think just to savor no. beauty <laughs> of our world. Sex you know? and intimacy. Yeah. But <laughs> I, think, I think what this speaks to also is just how we've, uh, well, we were really inspired by that movie Game Changers and that yep. it just came out on Netflix. Just, it was the, the, the masculine power. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It kind of like, you know, put it in that world of the athletes, the muscle builders, you know, the people wanting to win the gold and, and really showing how plant-based diets were helping them succeed. Um, and yet I think if we don't highlight this, this need, this human need for leisure and how we're so controlled by our new kind of tribal identity with capitalism because we don't really have a tribe that we can identify with in America. We just kind of came as this conglomerate soup of a culture and we're so young. And so we just kind of, I think we unconsciously just put our our faith into the system above us, which really ends up being capitalism and is really controlling the whole food industry, the pharmaceutical industry, which is paying off the governments, which is why these, you know, 
no one's highlighting these atrocities that are happening, um, whether it's in our, our land, our oceans and waters and to the animals. And so I, I wonder in some ways if we, yeah, we really move forward with a just kind of an inspiration, if even if it's not just solely for veganism, to break people out of these chains of capitalism that are keeping them so stuck and having to like work these hourly jobs and to become slaves themselves, which I think then, you know, allows people to make decisions more like, oh, well, I'm enslaved, so you're saying this early, so I can enslave that animal because I'm also like that, you know, and so. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, I think you know that, but people, I think, at a deeper level, want, really do want to be free. I mean, totally. uh, there's probably nothing deeper inside of us to to somehow get out. And and if we can't be, then we start self medicating, right? Just or, or destroying ourselves and yeah. others. But I think um, you're touching a really important point there with the economics of this and capitalism specifically. Um, as I point out in the World Peace Diet, of course, capita from capital. Capitalism means head, as in sheep and goats and cows. So this whole economic system of a wealthy elite owning the means of producing wealth, which yeah. are capita, heads of sheep and goats and cows, that system of enslaving animals created a hierarchical system uh, that we still are under today. And so a lot of people say, so, so what's the way forward? And my answer to that really is that I think we, we need to go through the doorways as, as um, you know, sort of one at a time in a sense. I mean, they, like the doorway that's right in our face, like this doorway that's like right there mm -hmm. is what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Liberate animals. Mm -hmm. If we don't do that, we won't get anywhere. We, we, will we'll st we, we won't get anywhere. If, if the people, and this is a grassroots movement, we have to do it at a grassroots level, us the people, freeing the animals, no longer, just saying when the, the, the most subversive possible action we can take in a culture of violence is nonviolence again against the main victims who are animals, these other beings, these non-human animals. So if we say no to that, I'm not going to pay someone else to stab animals. I'm not going to go to rodeos and circuses. I'm not going to hunt animals. I'm not going to go fishing. I'm not going to eat animals. I'm not going. I'm just going to let them live. I'm not going to do anything with my dollars that causes them suffering. It's the best I can. We can't be perfect. We do the best we can. And if we can, if that as that movement grows. And we start as a whole culture going through that doorway. Well, we will we will be releasing forces of unimaginable power. Our physical health will come back. Our psychological health will come back. Our intelligence will grow. Our sensitivity, which is so mm -hmm. important to be aware, conscious, will come back, and we'll begin to create communities again. And when we start going through that door we will see doors that we can't see yet. Right? Mm -hmm. Doors into new forms of governance, new forms of economics, new abilities that we have. We don't even know we have abilities. Uh, there's so many abilities we have, I think, mm -hmm. that we're not aware of. Creative abilities. Totally. Uh, Intuition. Communication abilities. It. You know, we're depending on technology for everything. You know, technology is, is slavery. Techno yeah. We depend on technology to communicate, to move, for happiness, for, for everything. I mean, right. We, we should, I think, just get beyond the, this techno technology and technocracy because it has a dark side. It's not only polluting, mm -hmm. it's prevailing. It's taking away our freedom. So yeah. we can travel and communicate and do things more and more without technology. And I think the idea is to, uh, to see the power that we have as human beings is much greater than we've been told. Right. And uh, I think that's why meditation is important. When we quiet our minds and 
enter every day if we can, you know, in the morning or whenever it's good, um, a state of just pure awareness where we realize, we get a sense that what I am is eternal consciousness that was never born and will never die. That's it. That's what we are. And we're, and then we operate from that and we see that in other people. We don't, so when we're addressing other people, we're not just addressing this, this limited name and form, you know, Sanskrit, Nama Rupa, you know, that, just that thing, uh, object, material thing. That's what, mm. that's what animal agriculture does. It just reduces us. It, it trains us to do that. We have to resist. That's why going vegan is very profound. We now see other beings as expressions of infinite and eternal consciousness. Mm -hmm. And we address that in them. We recognize that in them. When, you, when we do that, we call forth the best in others. Mm. They, they rise up and say, yes, you know. Mm. And you know, you guys know about this, right, with ecstatic dance. You know, it's like when people just can move the being and something that's beyond the being is mm -hmm. actually expressing. Mm -hmm. So I think oh, yeah. this is the idea of creating contexts for this. You know, whatever it is, communities, restaurants, online mm -hmm. groups, podcasts, dances, uh, mm -hmm. uh, food forests, you know, there are spaces of love where we create uh, the context of this. Yeah, we like have a vegan food forest at the at the place where we hold the dance. And yeah, it's that's a vegan amazing. food forest on accident. Uh, it's because the neighbors don't want cows there, and they don't want to have the Krishna temple doesn't want to have like uh, any type of problems with the neighbors, and uh, and so uh, we have a vegan food forest, the only one in Utah, as far as I know of. Uh, but uh, we we actually it was funny right. like we had a really hard time selling the CSAs because we have a greenhouse now and I think it was like six thousand pounds of produce last year. It's a one acre, so you can come play in the garden. Like you see children playing in the garden, it's very natural. And then dance and like you know, go, there's an altar space where you could bring up you know bring things that you know or people and you know meditate in that space. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And uh, the Krishna Temple has been very welcoming to us and like kind of really embraced us. The the, the guy who runs yeah. all the Festival of Colors, he said to me the other day, he says, "I really don't look at you guys as some separate thing that comes here," which was always something I felt like. Maybe I'm this like, right. oh, we're gonna like tolerate this because they pay us. You know, he's like, I really feel like. You know, you're part of this, you know, you're really part of this experience. And um, I wanted to like touch on this to say that uh, what was fascinating is we had a hard time like getting people to purchase the CSAs. Even the people that are like, I buy all local and da 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 da, even though they're already there, like something is just like inconvenient. And I don't blame them. It's they lack the leisure to, ha to have a space where creativity can arise. So, like, if you don't have time to figure out what to do with the three beets and the greens you just got and whatever you have. How do I put this together in some way that tastes, that tastes good? Because all I've ever eaten was like the same thing over and over again. It came in a package, Rotorooney uh, or whatever the heck it is, uh, yeah, mac yeah, and yeah. cheese, you know, came in a package. And then you're like, okay, now what I like is roast beef, mayonnaise and bread or, you know, whatever the newest thing is. It's like, well, what do I do with these random group of vegetables? And then I'm even in the position where I lack the time to really spend time to teach them. You know, so we're trying to talk about putting together, you know, something every Tuesday where people could come together and it's a different person's house. You know, then we don't need to rent a building and like you could make some type of vegan dish together and just hang out. You know, like nothing else has to be there. It doesn't have to be any cost, any money. Like it, it's total the most if you want to be the most rebellious person you could be. Do stuff like that, because that, I think that that's <laughs> that is the real activist right. that's out there because it's like. You know, there's yeah. no victim in that process. And I think right, the minute right. that there's a victim in the process, you're part of the same problem. And I find right. myself often getting pissed. I want to, like, make a victim of here. I wrote down here a minute ago the most ridiculous thing imaginable. which is an idea that told me to write it down, maybe so I could bring it up right now. And it's like, what if, the, what if cats are alien beings 
and the bacteria, and then they, because they, <laughs> the, the Egyptians, is a wild thing, it's a, I, I just, roll with me on this. The Egyptians would worship these cats, you know, and cats are like purely carnivorous, but the cats were like basically cared for and domesticated in this strange way. And I remember hearing studies that the bacteria that some cats carry like affects the minds. And like, I'm not, I'm not saying that all of this is true. I, this could be total conspiracy theory, but it, it came up and it, I'm trying to go, I don't even know where I'm going with this. I'm, I'm, I'm losing, maybe this is a point of how you could go and tell almost any story if uh, if you have enough pieces together, and maybe this is a segue into I have a dog or someone has a cat because this is some of these questions I say. Yeah. Well, like I have this cat and I love this cat. My cat eats meat and has to eat meat. If I make the cat vegan, the cat will die, right? But this cat is domesticated, so like it can't go get its own meat. So like I have to now feed it meat, feed him right. or like Robin yeah. Kimmer said it. I, I have to feed kin, right? Kin because they're part they're part of my ultimately larger non-human family right, right? i have to right. feed, my, feed my kin meat and uh, even my dog like i like here we are we've been vegan for very pretty pretty long time and we have popcorn here and we find him the scraps from this animal processing wild hunting place to give him a little bit of meat with his uh organic vegan food that he eats with that what about if we have these pets like how do we, how do they weave into the story of this beautiful, compassionate, loving world that you speak of? Well, yeah, I think you know eventually um, my, the vision I think really is that we uh, won't have animals that we whose sovereignty we have taken away and who are dependent on us for food. Um, that we can have relationships with animals who are free living, and once we get to that point, when we evolve to that high level. Um, then I think the animals will reveal themselves to us as much more um, interesting beings than we can. Right now, they're just afraid of us. <laughs> Stay away. But um, I think if we do have companion animals now, uh, that's uh, probably a good opportunity to connect with them and, and um, be loving with them and so forth. And I think as, as much as possible to minimize the amount of animal foods that they're eating, like chickens and turkeys and fishes and other animals, whatever it is. Um, and the research that I've been doing, and I've been working actually also somewhat of an, an activist um, in, um, in, in, in dogs, for example, dogs uh, not eating any, anything that's not plant-based. You know, there's this, like I was, I was writing and working a little bit with this group right now uh, in Los Angeles. There's, um, I think about whatever it is, several hundred thousand dogs in the Los Angeles uh, system uh, who are fed meat, uh, you know, by the sit in the city shelters and things that they have. And um, there's a, there's a, a, a movement to try to get them to eat only plant-based foods, not, no, no meat at all. And it sparked a huge controversy because a lot of veterinarians say that these dogs, all, virtually all breeds of dogs will thrive on a plant-based diet. So they'd be healthier, they'd be happier. It'd be actually, um, one, one company, V-Dog, has, has agreed to supply the whole city of Los Angeles with, with vegan dog food for wow. all their dogs. Wow, you know, that's amazing. The same price, you know, it wouldn't cost them any more uh, money. And, um, and so, but there's other veterinarians, of course, coming in on the other side say, no, no, they have to have meat. And so there's uh, so it's a, kind of a big debate, but now for the first time, there's actually a, um, a, a study being funded to find out the truth 
But, uh, you know, I'm a pretty good friends with this woman named Armaidi May, who's a vegan, her, vegan vet. Vegan vet is her, uh, is her um, website. But she's, she's done a lot of research and she counsels people and she's pretty much says all, virtually all dogs will thrive on a vegan diet if you, yeah. do, you know, know what you're doing. Basically, it's not that difficult. Uh, cats are a little more tricky. Um, I also are friends with um, the founder and owner of this company, um, Evolution, and they make a vegan dog food and a vegan cat food. And his experience in 30 years now of feeding cats, vegan cat wow. food, is that two-thirds, roughly, of cats will thrive on a plant-based diet. So there are about a third that just don't seem to really do that well. But virtually all females and quite a lot of the males will do fine on a vegan plant-based diet. You have to add you know, taurine and a, a few other things, make it a pretty acidic. But, it's, mm -hmm. but he's created a, a cat food. And I have friends. I have a friend's. Um, that have about like four, one lady has about three dogs and four cats or something. And they're all on evolution and they're all Very doing great. They're like 10, 15 years old. And yeah. so I think there's an, there's an educational curve that we have to go through about all this stuff to learn what the possibilities are and the options and then do experiments and just find out more. There's websites, there's Facebook groups of people that, you know, feed their dogs and cats vegan food and give each other tips and, Mm -hmm. There's some veterinarians that are on board with it and have instructions on how to do it and so forth. And so uh, I think this is part of it, but you have, it's also good to remember that dogs and cats in many ways, I think, were originally um, sort of domesticated as part of the herding culture. And oh, they, yeah. they help us. And when we, when we, we have a house in Ecuador, um, we don't stay there very much, but, um, but I, I notice there's a lot of all these dogs and the dogs are they're, they're just for one purpose and that is to protect the chickens. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's why they have mm -hmm. dogs. They don't have them for companionship. It's just right. that's their job. And um, so I think, you know, that we've, we've kind of in this artificial sort of situation where because we're eating meat, you know, cows and pigs and chickens, we have these companion animals that are here to guard and, and protect our livestock. Otherwise we'd have companion animals maybe that are you know, like rabbits or something else, you know, that are more, plant-based mm -hmm. uh, but our horses and things but i think it, at this point to just um do the best we can with the situation we're in you know and that's i guess that's that's it we're in, we're in kind of a middle period it's kind of a, you know, kind of a messy kind yeah. of situation i yeah i feel like we're in a little bit of a mexican standoff with our own interests mm -hmm. so like like i work in in my my other company is i help people liberate themselves from different forms of debt peonage different forms of debt right. student debt taxes credit card debt, things like that. And I simultaneously want all student loans to be discharged. I think a debt jubilee would be very beautiful. And at the same time, if that happened and nothing else changed, there would be a moment where I'm like, I have no income and I have, you know, like, you know, and then, so, you know, it, it, it's like the same thing with the veterinarians, you know, if in fact the vegan diet does really make dogs or other, you know, dogs, for example, healthier, it's almost like they're afraid that that will right. then make them not be able to earn a livelihood, which is required yeah. in order for them to pay their mortgage on their house, which is required oh. in order for their family to stay together, which is required. Do you why, see it's layers and layers? I think it's why most people are in defense of their well, that's, diet. That's and, a good point. You know, I, I mean, I have a uh, friend, uh, Dr. Michael Clapper, who's an MD, and um, he's a vegan MD. There's not that many vegan MDs. The, the doctors, it's the same problem. And he was just having a discussion with this very interesting guy, Kim Williams, who's also a vegan MD, who's, uh, who's also the president of the American College of Cardiology. He's a very oh, high-level wow. guy. 
And he's figured it out that, you know, heart attacks are caused basically by meat and dairy and egg consumption. And so he's the head of the cardiology unit at this huge hospital in Chicago. Wow. And uh, my, my friend, Michael Clapper, was saying he just saw Kim uh, recently at a conference of doctors. And he said, how's it going, Kim? And he, Kim said, you know, it's not going too good. And he said, what's the problem? He said, well, he said, I, I just got called in. Um, by the supervisor of the hospital, and he, he was very upset. He said, the cardiology unit of this hospital has been the biggest moneymaker for the last 25 years. Under you, our, our income has just collapsed because I guess most of the doctors that he's been hiring under him are also vegan doctors. Mm. Oh, and instead wow. of doing the usual quadruple heart bypasses, they're recommending they move the patients go to a plant-based diet and then that's not making the money. Wow. And so, you know, it's a huge issue because totally. he can lose his job yeah. um, because of this. Right. But the other conversation that Clapper had uh, at, a, at a conference um, a few weeks later was with an insurance, a top insurance executive who was saying that, you know, this vegan thing is fantastic because we can really reduce our, uh, we can really make more money and have more profits if people aren't so sick. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. They'll still pay so, for insurance. So the insurance business could yeah. start pressuring the hospitals to actually promote health, you know, education on healthy eating, mm -hmm. and it could change this whole thing. But it's got to again it has to start with the, people have to educate themselves, and we have to educate our doctors, and, and the whole thing, and the economics because you know the the, the the big losers in all this really will be the pharmaceutical industry, mm -hmm. and um, the, and they're a force to be reckoned with, unfortunately, but. But the, even the meat and dairy and egg industries, they can diversify into plant-based foods, plant-based cheese and burgers and all that. Look at uh, Beyond Burger and Impossible Burger. Right, they're doing really know, well. Yeah. yeah. But they're getting attacked. The, if you look at the, the meat right. and dairy lobby, it's like, oh, it has glyphosate in it. Like, it's so unnatural. Can you speak to that, what people are seeing? Because, like, these same people that are terrified to eat Beyond Burger are eating, you know, quote-unquote, either grass-fed local beef or or whatnot. What's well, yeah, I know it's a little bit hypocritical because the um, the ma massive most, I, I think it's probably 85 to 90% of all the glyphosate that's used is on animal feed. Right. You know, it's, it's, for, it's for genetically engineered corn and soy and alfalfa, also cotton, cottonseed and canola. A lot of that is fed to, uh, uh, to animals. So that's all GMO and that's huge amounts of glyphosate. So anyone who's eating any meat, dairy, or eggs would drastically reduce the amount of glyphosate they're eating if they move to uh, vegetarian burgers, even, even uh, for sure, Beyond Burger. Impossible Burger has got more GMOs in it than any vegetarian burgers. I would never eat one personally. Right, right. <laughs> but I think for someone eating meat or dairy or eggs, I mean, it's a, it's a totally. step in the right direction. Totally. Um, if someone's eating free range or grass fed and they say, well, I'm not getting any... Uh, any kind of uh, uh, toxic pesticide residue in my food, uh, I would say you're getting a lot of other residues anyway. I mean, yeah. there's, a, there's naturally occurring substances. There's so many t different types of toxins that are endemic in animal-based foods. I mean, most of the herbicide, uh, pesticide, fungicide, and chemical fertilizer residues end up in the flesh and secretions of animals. If it's organic, okay, maybe you don't have that if you're lucky. I mean, I, but, but there's still... They're very often they're fed fish meal, right? Fish concentrate heavy metals, PCBs, dioxins, nuclear radiation, all that stuff concentrates. So they're getting that. They're very often they're they're um, 
uh, manure is used on the fields, which concentrates all this stuff. So, but even if it's really clean, organic, somehow cheese or meat or something, there's still other toxins in there. Uh, the heterocyclic amines, which are when you cook meat, that are carcinogenic. There's so many different things in dairy products that are, you know, the, the whole, uh, all the different proteins like casein, which is a basic protein, uh, the main protein in milk, which we don't even have the enzyme to, to, to digest properly. So it's the driving force behind breast cancer, prostate cancer, colon cancer, uh, a lot of liver disease, kidneys, arthritis, so many different problems come from these foods. They're high in protein, they're high in saturated fat, they're high in cholesterol. Yeah, I know about these tests that have been done saying that cholesterol is not an issue. Those, those are basically paid for by the meat, dairy, and egg industries. And uh, the whole idea is to confuse you. The same actual marketing firm that was hired by the tobacco industry to confuse the American people about tobacco is this, they're now working for the meat, dairy, and egg industry. Oh, yeah. And it's the same thing. You just, you, if you have, you know, 500 studies that show that eating a, a whole food plant-based diet is healthy and you have one study that shows the, the other, you know, that eating meat is healthy, something like that, um, the, the press, of course, I understand this. My father owned a whole chain of newspapers. So I grew up in the media and I understand in my bones the truth because I saw it in action that you never run any news articles that the advertisers will, get, will object to. So the biggest advertisers, the big meat and dairy and fast food and petroleum and pharmaceutical, I mean, these are the big industries, the big banks in the background. So, so the media is totally a mouthpiece for the power industries that get rich off of war and disease and environmental des destruction. So in order to get the truth about things, we have to, <laughs> that's not easy, right? I mean, and, and internet censorship is getting worse and worse every day. So we have to be able to use our intelligence and realize when we're just being conned on things and realize that this you know, it wasn't set up by some demonic entity that the only way i can be healthy is to cause misery and violence and pollution and devastation to ecosystems i mean right. it's not like that right. we know that our basic wisdom knows that right so the underlying idea is to question these stories of violence and realize that there's so many toxins i want to say one one final thing about organic uh like organic dairy or organic meat and dairy or backyard operations mm. that somehow they're uh, less violent or more, less abusive mm -hmm. or more healthy right. or something. We really should not think that because these backyard operations, sort of like going back to the good old days, like back then, uh, in the medieval period and in earlier times, there were no good old days. They, it was standard procedure to nail the feet, of, the feet of geese to the floor so they wouldn't move. And, you know, just animals were bear baiting and bull baiting and the horrific violence towards animals is, is, is deeply embedded in, in animal agriculture in the so-called good old days. Mm. There wasn't any good old days if you were a cow or pig or a chicken. And today on organic operations, one of the big problems is that they're not allowed to use any antibiotics, for example, or many different things that actually make life a little better for these animals. For example, cows always get on these when they're confined they get mastitis, their, their udders get infected and inflamed. And so whether it's an organic dairy or non-organic dairy, they get mastitis. On, on non-organic commercial dairies, they use antibiotics to reduce the inflammation because when the udder gets inflamed, the teats of the cow get clogged up and the milk can't get out. It's very painful for the cow and, and it's no profit for them, so they just so they give them antibiotics. On a non-organic dairy, they can't do that, right? They can't, so, so they can't use antibiotics. 
So they have, you know, like as in one example, they have this corkscrew thing that they screw up into the teeth and rip down and it's very painful and a lot of bleeding for the cow, but that's what they do. And I've talked to veterinarians who have told me that cows suffer more on organic dairies, small organic backyard, small operations than on commercial dairies because of all these kinds of things. And I've talked to, also talked to quite a few animal sanctuary operators who get animals uh, some from big commercial factory farms and some from little backyard operations. And I hear it over and over again, the same story. They all say the same thing. The animals that come from the backyard operations are very often as badly or even worse treated than the animals from factory farms. People think that factory farms are bad. Backyard operations are good. The animals are cared for. She said, they say, no, you don't know what these people are doing to their, to their animals in the backyard. Either it's neglect or it's sadism. I mean, all kinds of stuff happens to these poor animals. So, uh, and, this, and the same thing, they did an um, undercover investigation of a small-scale slaughterhouse. I remember uh, a few years ago in, in southern England, one of these places where everybody goes in Devon, where everybody's conscious, and they have their free-range grass-fed beef and chicken. And they found, you know, we, we know very well that, that the large-scale slaughterhouses are brutal because the line speeds are so fast that these poor animals you know, they, they can hardly kill them. It's a lot, sometimes they're improperly stunned and then they're, you know, it's terrible what had their throats are cut when they're still totally conscious and all that. So that's bad. But what they found on this investigation of a small scale is that they have more time. <laughs> and that this animal agriculture uh, and, and slaughterhouses in general bring out the worst in people. This is really important to understand that when you own animals as property, they become objects and pretty soon it just they don't do what you want them to do so you start kicking them and you start stabbing them you start poking them and it gets worse and worse and so that's what they discovered was that these these small scale slaughterhouses that, that everybody was going to because they thought oh now this is this is ethical now i'm doing something really nice for the animals but they the workers were sadistically killing them much worse than would ever happen probably in any high speed thing so we should understand clearly that there's no way to eat animal foods without causing abuse and suffering and violence, and it's unnecessary. We don't need to. There's no nutrients. We need to be healthy. Just understand that clearly, and we can begin to live off the, the basic abundance of this earth. I think the earth is ready and willing to support all of us, mm. <laughs> and we just have to just wake up out of this, this narrative. That's yeah, I really appreciate that point. Thank you. What about permaculture design and animals in a permaculture you you have a permaculture garden from what i understand or something based on those principles and i think you even have some animals on it but like shouldn't people be having you touched on it earlier shouldn't they have cows and pigs and as part of their design and you know people watch that movie the biggest little farm you know and they had the cog you know and and it you know i don't know if you've seen that you know, I haven't seen that. I, I really need to watch it. But um, we, we have a permaculture um, uh, food forest. We don't have any animals that we use. We have free living animals that come and go, birds and bees, and we try to work with them. Um, but, um, but basically, I think there's a book. Um, this is kind of this book here, Growing Green, um, by uh, Jenny Hall and Ian Tolhurst. It's basically about veganic permaculture, plant-based permaculture. And it's much bigger over in England and, and Ireland than, than it is here. Uh, there's a lot of more people doing it. And they're, they're discovering that you can get more yield per acre with no animal inputs at all. I mean, as soon as you feed some animals and then 
uh, have them you know, use their manure or, or try to use them for, in some way, um, you introduce other problems. So that book goes into things um, that we haven't had to go into, but ways of companion planting, ways of, of, uh, of, of plowing crops under to enrich the soil, you know, using legumes and others to enrich the soil and build in nitrogen. Um, we use, uh, like we recycle all our own human uh, uh, manure and, and urine and everything. And we use all of our compost and we use wood chips. We have, you know, we have lots of wood chips and we just build the soil. Um, and we've, you know, we, when we got here, our soil was just thin and wasn't very good. And now we're in seven years and we have really thick, rich soil with lots of earthworms. And uh, we grow, we've planted about 50 fruit and nut trees. We have lots of berries and herbs and veggies and things. And uh, it really is going great. We haven't used any animal inputs of any kind. And um, we're, you know, we're still buying food from local farmers and, and, st and the local um, health food store. But for the most part, we get a lot of our food from our own uh, forest. And I think um, that's a, it's a beautiful thing to try to become more self-sufficient at the community level, you know, and, and to just experiment with it. But I don't think uh, it's true that we have to have animals to do the dirty work of some kind, to, to get the pests or to, to, I think, really building up the soil, recycling everything, you know, recycling everything as best we can. And um, we have a water uh, structuring thing. So the water is structured. That's a new thing. But, that, but um, I think that's part of it. When all the water is kind of dead. It comes through pipes. So, so you can buy a structure. Uh, I mean, it kind of, because when water is flowing through streams and rivers, it has a vitality. And uh, the people we bought it from are friends of ours in Arizona. And they said their garden just took off. After, so we're kind of, we just got it a few, you know, a few months ago, but we'll see. But I think there's, you know, there's certain things we can learn, certain appropriate technology, I guess, kind of things, that, that just small scale technology that we can learn to, to in, improve our yields and not enslave animals and not make them, not steal their sovereignty. I think the more we, we can just let them live their lives freely uh, and find ways, like we have a fence, right? we, the deer would, we, we eat everything. So, you know, we have a fence, so <laughs> you do something, but, but I think we don't, we try not to have it be a war against nature as much as we can. And uh, so far it's been going great. But I think, you know, we're, we're learning every day. And, and, uh, but it's really delicious. As you know, the food is way better than you can buy uh, in stores. And I think uh, this is the kind of things we should be uh, questioning, questioning this idea that we have to imprison animals in some way to feed ourselves, because I don't think it's true. Right. I have a dream of having a, or rescuing cows someday and having a sanctuary yeah. of sorts. But people always ask me, well, what will you do with the cows? Will you milk them? Will you, you eat them? Or will you sell them? And <laughs> for me, it's just this really strong pull to introducing people to that personality. It's like you said, if we liberate these animals, then um, the true nature and spirit of the animal will be able to shine through. And for people to really realize the, the personality of these animals and, and knowing that pigs and cows have this deep sensitivity and intelligence and really all animals, you know, I think um, once that awakens in people and they see them as other beings, they won't be able to really yeah. choose to eat them. You know? I've seen that, you know, we, we've been, we've been very blessed to go to animal sanctuaries all over the United States and Canada, as well as Europe and Africa and Asia and Australia, New Zealand, Tasmania, People are, are just rescuing a tiny, tiny percentage of some right. of these animals. And they're amazing educational centers because any, especially kids, when kids come there, 
and they see these pigs and they give them a belly rub and they see the turkeys and we like you know we we go to many times to a thanksgiving where you feed the turkeys you know mm-hmm. <laughs> sanctuary. yeah and um i'm telling you so many people go vegan just by seeing the animals and, and understanding them as like their pet and dog and cat they have a unique exactly. personalities and they there's someone behind those eyes looking out at you it's not just a piece of, of meat right i mean no one wants to be looked at as merely a piece of meat to be used but our system does that it's yeah. what it does it does it to women it does it to animals it does it to all of us really on yeah. some fundamental level right so the whole idea is that we have to break that and having a sanctuary is a great way to do it you know it's a great way to introduce people to uh to the deeper reality mm. Mm. wow i yes. feel like that a lot of this cruelty is perpetuated by the shaming of the masculine men feeling ashamed of being men and then not admitting that they feel this shame it might even go on in, into the unconscious and then developing this machismo, like, you know, I'll burn the whole fucking world to the ground if you try to, like, step on yep. me. And I, I want you talked about where this starts, and it starts at the pretty much the moment of birth of whether you're a boy or a girl, and then the process of making the origins of the current modern-day man. Wow. Yeah, now you're getting really... <laughs> well, that's the thing, you know, I think... The way birth is done on a factory farm or a backyard operation where I own you, I own your baby, I'm going to impregnate you and steal, you, steal your baby and do what I want with your baby and impregnate you again, that's really what our culture does to us. And uh, in many ways, our, little, our babies are stolen as soon as they're born from the mother. Um, and uh, there isn't really that deep bonding that happens um, that's so important, I think, for for both men and women for both little boys and baby boys and girls. And we're, um, we're, we're manipulated in many ways. Uh, medically, uh, we're just, we're, we're just treated as an object. It, it, it's just part of the way everything's done. The, the way the medical birth is done. I mean, uh, you know, I lived at the farm. That was one of the main birthing centers where they try to do birth without violence. But a lot of these midwives go to jail, you know, because they're not doing things the way the medical system says. I mean, the the AMA comes down very hard on anyone questioning the birthing process in our country uh, and even worldwide. So um, the foods that are given to little kids, the just the 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 violence and the messaging, the competitive environment. Um, what about the know, operation that happens oh, for little boys? Circ- oh, yeah, circumcision. I mean, my God, you know, know. it's, it's um, all of this uh, is, is just part of a medical system that makes money off of exploiting people. Uh, they, they sell the skin from the circumcision. I mean, all of these things uh, wound people at such a deep level. That's why when, you, when, when I understand that, it's hard for me to get really angry at these macho men. Yeah. I see they're hurt. They've just been hurt. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And so it's just a it's just a trying to make sense of the world. There's no point in in shaming or criticizing and complaining them. I mean, the best thing we can do is, you know, say there's another way of living. And totally. evolve, I mean, when we're wounded, the best thing is to shine the light. Yeah, yeah. I see a lot of people oh, make, depicting Donald Trump as this fat person with a pig face and a mic, micro penis, and they like you know put him up to like shame this man that's in power and then all these other men with the same wounding is how i see it rise up and go like i'll burn the whole world to the ground they don't even say they're going to burn the whole world to the ground they're like 
the idea that we're burning the world to the ground is bullshit. We're going to do whatever the hell we want and we're going to keep whatever dignity we still have. And they feel like they really are, are men that feel really powerless and maybe even are unconscious of the fact that they feel powerless. I'm not saying you just let them run rampant. I'm just saying that the, the shaming and humiliation element of it, I think, is actually perpetuating mm-hmm. the madness that they're claiming to be against, just like the, the vegan shaming the meat eater is right. stopping the meat eater from even looking at that possibility. Mm. Yeah. No, you're totally right. Yeah, it, it's um, violence, unfortunately, begets more violence, and it starts very young in children. And uh, we see now it's coming out, and I hate to even talk about it, but the, the fact that there's these huge pedophilia networks um, that are uh, used by the, especially the people in power, you know, the political leaders. Uh, and economic leaders that they're they're pedophiles, um, and uh, that's used as a way of blackmailing them, of course, too. Um, but you got to remember, what's animal agriculture? It's sexually abusing little babies. That's what it is. Animal agriculture is sexually abusing babies on a massive scale. So we're going to sow that. We're going to reap it. So that's why, again, we come back to that doorway. <laughs> yeah. Going vegan, you know, moving in in the direction of liberating animals. It, we, that's the that's what we need to do more than anything, and. As we do that, we'll create a consciousness uh, of kindness and caring and justice and freedom and awareness that will make it so that we're not going to be ruled by these types of people, right? I mean, if we're, if we're killing all, if, we're, if I'm eating all these animal foods, I'm paying for it, I'm going to be ruled by those same kind of people. They're going to have control over me because that's what I'm doing. I'm controlling, I'm doing that, it's going to happen to me. So for us to fight against those bad people while we're still doing the same thing, that's the big, that's the big mistake. And the beautiful thing, I think, is like Buckminster Fuller said, he said, it's not really a, the smartest thing to fight directly against a system that's violent and abusive. He said, the best thing to do is just create another system that makes that one obsolete, you know, build something else. And that's what we're doing. I think, you know, when you're talking about making a sanctuary and permaculture and dance and, and uh, freedom and liberation and healthy food, do something else. And that other one, nobody's going to buy it anymore. It's, it's just let it, let it go. And kindness and compassion with ourselves, which is often the hardest thing to do is to be kind and compassionate with our own shortcomings, our own fears, our own shame, our Mm -hmm. own inadequacies. If we can't do that, that's the real foundation. If we, a lot of people feel they don't deserve to eat in this way. If other people are eating this way, they can't, you know, like they don't deserve to like have this new birth. Somehow they're deficient or they've done, they've eaten animals for so long that they can't take the guilt of believing that this is possibly something that they've right. contributed yeah. to. That calls That's to true. me like uh, Francis Weller was just in town this last weekend and uh, he does a lot of work around grief rituals. And it almost seems like as I talk about people entering into this new way of living, it almost seems like a, a grief ritual is almost called for because of how we've been able to choose violence our whole lives. And, you know, the grieving for not only the animals and all the suffering there, but the grieving for ourselves being stuck in these, this culture where, you know, it didn't seem like we had a choice until now. For most I love that. Now. Yeah, that's very, very wise, really. Mm-hmm. Grief rituals, we, I think, I think I, I'm sure I went through a few of those okay. in, in my own organic way. Right. And, uh, and, but I think it's true. You, you just have to weep some, a lot of tears for what's happened. But then uh, realize, okay. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's like the reborn. Yeah. 
being rebirthed yeah. in yeah, this That's new the world. water that you're born in is your own salty tears that yeah. are reminiscent of the ocean that we emerged from at some point in time where consciousness originated. Yeah. I could exactly. picture a time where there is a place you could go and be able to be with others as you see the pain that has been inflicted on all of these beings, not just animals, but human beings, which are also animals, and in, in, in cultures and the indigenous people of the states and Canada, and, the, and, and like what caused the people to be moving from these cold places? Why were people coming across in these boats and being able to be with that grief and to be able to be with the grief of these animals and their current condition. They're, they are the ones that are currently in the concentration camps, along with those people that are so poor and so at that bottom class that they're forced in order for survival to, to inflict the, the pain and suffering right. on themselves and these beings and are perpetuating it out. And they could be able to be with this in this process and then spend a week to learn how to like grow food and make this different food together. Mm -hmm. And then it could be this initiatory process mm -hmm. out of the mm -hmm. matrix of pain into this beautiful reunion of all this connected mm -hmm. spirit of life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a great idea. We don't really have something like that, but I think um, that's a beautiful vision. Really. I give anyone that's listening to this full permission to take that <laughs> exactly. vision because yeah. that vision was a gift, not to me, but to everybody right. listening to this. It's not yeah. mine. That, that came to me as a gift, just like my life did. You know, it came to me as a gift and I want to liberate that gift and share it with everyone. Yeah. You know, I don't yeah. want to confine Maybe. it like, like a slave to, my, to myself mm. and trademark it. So yeah. please take it. Uh, I would love it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Maybe we'll create it. Great. In the Just planting, yeah. planting those seeds. That's the key. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Will. Great. We went a little Thank bit you. over. I think the sound yeah. is might not pull up on the mic, so we might have got computer sound. Might not have okay. been so incredible sound, but I think that maybe it'll get people to pay even closer attention to the things being said and be present with it. I really appreciate the work you're yeah, doing. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, well, thank I, you both. Yeah, I wish you much blessings. I look forward to meeting you in person sometime. I'm sure Madeline does also, and meeting meeting Madeline also. Right. And uh, I, I'm going to share this far and wide, and hopefully, it's received well. And if anybody listening to this really wants to do something to help this message get out, the way the best way to do that is to review the podcast. That's like currency for iTunes. If you review the podcast, you don't have to say something spectacular like "I really like the Will Tuttle podcast." That was great. That's enough. And what happens mm -hmm. is if we get a certain amount, then Apple will start showing it to more people. Uh, if right. people wait to do it perfectly and I want to write this big thing or I'll do it later, then then yeah. it doesn't ever get shown anywhere and it falls mm -hmm. silent. It's almost like this conversation happened to so select people. So yeah. I'm, not, I'm not telling people to review it, but if you feel inspired to review it, this is a chance to follow that inspiration. It might take you a, a couple minutes of tinkering around trying to get things to work right. But uh, it's well worth it. Yeah. We really appreciate and I, that. And I would like to really recommend Will Tuttle's book, A World Peace Diet. And I know you have a lot more writings out there. Um, I listened to the book, which you read, and I thought it was really wonderful yeah. and touching. Yeah, really inspiring and life-changing. So, Thank yeah. you. Yeah, and Thank where can so they much. find your work also in your speaking opportunities? Is that on your website? Yes, yeah. Okay. Worldpeacediet.com okay. has our... our our lecture schedule, and uh, hopefully we'll get to uh, Utah uh, next year. Sometime. We're yeah, going to bring you yeah, out here for we'll sure. Bring, <laughs> yeah, we're we'll make sure it happens. Sure. We'll make it happen. So uh, we could talk about that later this week if you'd like and kind of coordinate yeah. that for spring when we're back in town. Yeah. Thank you awesome. so much, Will. Hey, thank you, Will. 
Great. Okay. Thanks very much, everyone. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening, and please follow us to hear future episodes where we discuss topics such as alternative states of consciousness achieved through dance, intention, and shamanic practices, sacred economics, dream work, trauma healing, building community, permaculture, healthy and compassionate living and eating practices, somatic and alternative healing modalities, politics, psychology, mythology, and more. Our work is focused on the liberation of spirit, a return to the sacred, which is a constant collective inquiry. We aim both in person and on this podcast to plant and water the seeds of liberation from economic inequality, trauma, systemic conditioning, addiction, loss of soul, loss of meaning, hopelessness, helplessness, isolation, shame, nightmares, guilt, and a return to glimpses of your birthright, of dignity, joy, community, collaboration, equality, and constantly beautifying new world where you are not alone. And always, if you're ever in the Salt Lake City area, come join us for yoga, dance, or in the garden. A community of beautiful souls are here to welcome you. We gather in community Wednesday, 6 p.m. till 10 p.m. and Sunday, 11 to 3 p.m. And we have a vegan brunch or vegan dinner after every event. Our gatherings are all ages and are of no religious affiliation. We look forward to seeing you. Shambaruna, Shanno Pavet Variamam, Shanna Indro Brahaspati, Shanno Vishnu Urukrama, Namo Brahmani, Namaste Vayu, Tameva Pratyaksham Brahmasi, Tameva Pratyaksham Brahmavadisyami, Ritam Vadisyami, Satyam Vadisyami, Tanma Mavatu, Tatvaktara Mavatu, Avatu Mam. Avatu Bhaktaram Om Shanti 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 Shamnu Vitra Shambaruna Shamnu Bhavet Variyamam Shamna Indro Brahaspati Shamnu Vishnu Rukrama Namo Brahmani Namaste Vayu Trameva Pratyaksham Brahmasi Trameva Pratyaksham Brahmavadisyami Vritam Vadisyami Satyam Vadisyami Talmam Avatu Tatvaktaram Avatu Avatu Mam Avatu Bhaktaram Om Shanti Shanti Shanti
Avatu Bhakta 